pledge allegiance to the United States of America. Right, Commissioner, I'll call roll. Thank you very Walker. much there. Commissioner Walker. Present. Commissioner Benedicto. Present. Commissioner Yanez. Present. Commissioner Byrne. Here. Commissioner Yee. Here. Uh, Vice President Carter Oberstone and President Elias are uh, excused for the night. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, let's go to item number one. Uh, excuse me, Commissioner, one, um, one item to take care of prior. This commission has important work tonight to complete tonight and they are prepared to use all of their options under the law to accomplish this task. We recognize and will protect the right of every person to voice their opinion during their turn to make public comment, no matter how hostile or critical the comments may be. But we cannot tolerate individuals making noise, speaking out of turn, or otherwise refusing to comply with rules governing the orderly conduct of the meeting. Speaking out of turn, making noise, or other conduct actually disrupts the ability of the police commission to do its business. Tonight, the commission will order the removal of the individuals engaging in disruptive behavior. Depending on the circumstances before taking the step, the commission will warn the offending individuals and afford them the opportunity to correct their behavior. If there is a general disruption, such as the removal of the willful disruptors will not restore order, the commission will order the room cleared and then continue with the meeting. The commission will allow representatives news media not involved in the disruption to remain in the meeting. Persons removed from the meeting may watch it in the overflow room, but only if they do not interfere with the ability of others in the overflow room to watch the meeting. The Commission is asking the public's cooperation in ensuring the meetings run as smoothly as possible. The Commission wants to hear from every member of the public that can, that can only occur if we are able to maintain an orderly meeting. Thank you. Line item one, weekly officer recognition certificate. Presentation of an officer who has gone above and beyond in the performance of their duties. Officer Ryan Gonzalez, star number 592 from Tenderloin Station. Good afternoon, members of the Police Commission, uh, Chief of Staff, Ms. Hawkins from uh, DPA, uh, Chief Scott, SFPD, and uh, members of the community. I'm uh, Lieutenant John Casper, assigned to Tenderloin Station, and I'm here to uh, introduce Officer uh, Ryan Gonzalez from Tenderloin Station. Um, Come up here, please. Officer Ryan Gonzalez is a veteran officer who is assigned to the Tenderloin Station Midnight Watch. Officer Gonzalez, Officer Gonzalez is well regarded by his peers and supervisors alike. He not only works as a patrol officer, but frequently works with the Tenderloin Station plainclothes team and is committed to addressing the neighborhood crime problems the residents in the Tenderloin face. Officer Gonzalez is also a field training officer entrusted by the San Francisco Police Department to ensure that the new officers are trained up to the standards and expectations set forth by our department. Officer Gonzalez has made numerous arrests when faced with in-progress crimes as well as reported crimes. Officer Gonzalez exemplifies the department's values of vigorous enforcement as a deterrent to crime. And amid the department's staffing crisis, Officer Gonzalez has routinely volunteered to remain on duty past his shift and come in on his days off to help respond to calls for service in order to serve the Tenderloin community. Officer Gonzalez serves his community with integrity, respect, and professionalism and deserves recognition as a valued member of the Tenderloin Police Station and the San Francisco Police Department. Thank you. <laughs> Officer Gonzalez, Officer Ryan Gonzalez, star number 592, Tenderloin Station, the Officer of the Week. 
in recognition of your dedication and professionalism demonstrated through outstanding community policing practices and inspiring greatness by exemplifying the ideals of police officers as guardians of our community. Such an example of dedication is worthy of the highest esteem by the city and county of San Francisco and the San Francisco Police Department, presented to you on the 12th of July, 2023, from Chief William Scott. Officer uh, Gonzalez, you want to say a few words? Uh, yes, uh, first of all, I'd like to thank everyone. I'm honored for being here. Um, thank you, Chief, and thank you for to Lieutenant Casper and Sergeant Chung. I worked directly under them at Tenderloin Station without their valuable experience. I wouldn't be the officer I am today. Um, I'm glad to work in the community of Tenderloin. I know I've been there for a long time and developed a lot of good relationships with people from the community there, uh, such as the merchants and uh, people that you know ask us for help on the daily basis. Uh, nonetheless, I'd like to thank everyone, the commission, for uh, everything tonight, and thank you. Uh, I believe uh, Chief Scott, you want to have a few words? Thank you, uh, thank you, Commissioner Yee. I just wanted to say thank you to Officer Gonzalez. Um, as has been said many times in this commission, the Tenderloin and all the issues and challenges in the Tenderloin, it's a very challenging uh, place to work. And we need officers like Officer Gonzalez to do what he does and the way he does it. Compassionate, cares about people, engaging, and it's really about engaging and connected with, with community and, and providing those services that, um, that people need. So I just want to thank him for, thank you for your work, Officer Gonzalez, thank you. Thank you, Chief. Okay, uh, Commissioner uh, Deborah Walker. Um, Officer Gonzalez, I want to just thank you for your service. I know I hear from a lot of my uh, friends who, who work and live in the Tenderloin a lot around issues and they are really, um, um, they speak highly of you and thank you for your service as well and I wanted to pass that along. So thank you very much and thank you for your outreach into the community. You know, that's the shift you have is, is the hardest. I think a lot of us have, um, have gone on ride-alongs in the, in the night and um, it's a challenge so I just really appreciate you being there. Thank you. Thank you. Don't leave yet there, uh, uh, Officer uh, Gonzalez. I just want to thank you for all your hard work Sometimes we don't say it enough. You put out uh, your life out there on the line, and I know Tenderloin is one of the toughest uh, stations, I believe, that's my opinion. But so again, thank you for all your hard work and continue your good service to the community and the city of San Francisco. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item one, please approach the podium. Uh, no, this is, this is public this comment item. for line item one, the weekly officer recognition. Okay. And commissioners, there is no public comment. Okay. Let's uh, go to line item number two, general public comments. Line item two, general public comment. At this time, the public is now welcome to address the commission for up to two minutes on items that do not appear on tonight's agenda, but are within the subject matter jurisdiction of a police commission. 
Under Police Commission rules of order during public comment, neither police or DPA personnel nor commissioners are required to respond to questions by the public, but may provide a brief response. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in either of the following ways. Email the Secretary of the Police Commission at sfpd.commission at sfgov.org or written comments may be sent via U.S. Postal Service to the Public Safety Building located at 1245 3rd Street, San Francisco, California, 94158. If you would like to make public comment, please approach the podium. Okay, we're on. As many of you know, 113 people, mostly children, were arrested on Saturday night. 113 arrests. I'm gonna ask a question to the audience. Anyone can answer, and I've only got two minutes here, so answer quick. 113 people arrested, how many people are innocent? 113, okay. I was there until 2.30 in the morning with those children until the last one was taken away on a bus and I did not see 113 innocent people. What I saw, and many of you know this term, some of you don't, it's called process is punishment. What I saw is process is punishment. I did not see innocent kids put on that bus. I saw tortured and, I, and people presumed guilty. Process is punishment and First Amendment and Fourth Amendment and anything in the Constitution are not peanut butter and chocolate. They do not jive. Those kids were treated poorly. Now, in the 80s, they had a study, medical malpractice insurance people wanted to know how come all these medical malpractice claims are happening. So they studied two populations of doctors. There was a small population of doctors that were getting no medical malpractice. There was a small population of doctors that were getting a lot. I'm going somewhere with this. The small population of doctors that had very little medical malpractice claims surprisingly had a lot of mistakes. But what they did is they approached their patients and said, I'm sorry, I screwed up. This is how I screwed up. This is how I'm gonna fix it. The doctors that had a lot of medical malpractice claims denied. They said, we were cut on the forehead. We had kids shoot fireworks at us. It wasn't our fault. Small problems turn into big problems and those turn into medical malpractice claims. Fix small problems now. Uh, I'm gonna call up uh, Commissioner Kevin uh, Benedicto. Thank you, um, Acting President Yi. I just wanted to note, I know there are a lot of people in the room tonight, I'm guessing it's going to be a lot about uh, the events um, in Dolores Park. And I just wanted to note that uh, it does not appear on the agenda today, which is why you're all here for general public comment, because it happened after the agenda is finalized, uh, which was uh, last week. And the commission is somewhat limited into what we can talk about that isn't on the agenda. It will be discussed a little bit in the, in the chief's report, but it will be agendized specifically next week as well, both for a fuller explanation from the department, as well as a response to a letter the commission received from a member of the Board of Supervisors. And so for those that are here, uh, we want your comment, we, appreciate, we want this space to be for the community to be heard. But if you're wondering why the commission will be limited into what we're, uh, um, talking about it's because of that uh, the agenda being finalized and the, there will be a fulsome discussion agendized at next week's meeting as well. I just wanted to note that for members of the public. Uh, I'm gonna call uh, Commissioner uh, Giannis. Actually, I was, I'm on the queue. Okay. Yeah. Uh, public uh, comments continue. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Jeffrey Kwong. I'm the president of the Harvey Milk LGBTQ Democratic Club. I'm here tonight to express um, the outrage, the concern that the queer community in San Francisco feel about the incidents at Dolores Park. 
Um, on Sunday, I was at church at Most Holy Redeemer, and a fellow prisoner came up to me who lived in the Castro, lived through the 1979 White Knight riots, recalls police in ride gear rushing into the gay bars of the Castro. The scenes of Saturday were hundreds of police officers in riot gear, waving batons, drawing guns, rushing at unarmed civilians, youth. He never thought that would happen again in San Francisco after living through those tumultuous times. And he wanted me to share that with you. Uh, Chief Scott, you mentioned repeatedly community engagement and in the budget and the last two months we've heard about that community engagement. But if there's one group that deserves our police's efforts in de-escalation tactics, in engagement, in community policing, it is our youth. Why wasn't that groundwork done? The, the video footage that we have been bombarded with since the events of Saturday highlight that the police don't understand the practice and have not understood the training of the de-escalation techniques within the police force. The police bear the responsibility of prioritizing de-escalation tactics and we want answers. And as San Franciscans in a public park at the heart of the city where days before we celebrated the 4th and the week before Pride where we were gathering at Dolores Park with joy, we want answers and we respectfully ask the police commission to open an independent investigation. Thank you. Uh, my name is Richard Becker. I'm a 42-year resident of the mission. I'm with the Answer Coalition, Act Now to Stop War and End Racism. And I'd like to say, start by saying three words that I think are on the minds of a lot of people in San Francisco, and that is, what the hell? What the hell was going on that night? What were all those police doing out there at something that happens every year? Who made the decision to do that? Was it the chief? Was it the mayor? Is the mayor now running on a, a platform of uh, re-elect Mayor Breed? She's tough on kids. Is that what's going on? What the hell is going on? I mean, it, it, it's now, I remember in 1991, when Sheriff Hangisto declared state of martial law and hundreds and hundreds of people were arrested just walking down the street. And that only ended when there was a mass demonstration and that mass demonstration led to his resignation. I think that's what has to happen now. That's what should happen now. I mean, it's an outrage to this community. It's an outrage to everyone who believes in justice, and not just in this community, but all across the country. People are watching what you're doing, are watching what's happening here, and asking, is there gonna be any justice? for these young people. And what is the deal anyways? That one police officer gives a small cut and 113 people, all young people, have to pay for it? You know, really, there needs to be action taken by this commission if you're gonna retain any shred of credibility. You have to take action. You have to take disciplinary action against the police department. I don't think you're gonna do it, but if you don't do it, your credibility is gone. 
I'm Karen Fleshman, homeowner, mom, and concerned citizen of San Francisco. We have a cultural problem in the San Francisco Police Department. Chief Scott, you are here because of the Justice for Mario Woods Coalition. You are here because of the hunger strikers who had to go on strike for 21 days without eating. And that is why we were able to get Chief Sir fired and an outsider chief hired and get the Department of Justice in here to make 472 recommendations, a blue ribbon panel. And all of that is just collecting dust on a shelf. The culture problem is real and it's at every level. We finally got a district attorney who charged officers criminally. That is what we need to do to tone down the department. What happens? Billionaires and tech entrepreneurs fund a recall election and we get Brooke Jenkins in and she takes away the charges. The city government allocates $40 million to SFPD without any accountability for that. And who pairs the price? Black and brown young people. Don't forget that the Mission Police Department is the people who killed Amalcar Perez Lopez, who killed Luis Gongora Pat, who killed Alex Nieto. They have a problem with black and brown young people in San Francisco, and it is your responsibility, it is our collective responsibility to stop that before someone else gets armed. I have been there. I've worked in youth organizations when a young person comes in after having a brutal encounter with the police. It ruins their life. It is very, very traumatic for these young people, and that is gonna go with them for the rest of their lives. And we all collectively bear the responsibility for that, and it has to stop. Hello, um, I live in the Mission. There's so many things to criticize about what happened on Saturday night, but I'll try to keep it as specific as I can. I wanna see an immediate end to the kettling practices in all forms. As we saw on Saturday night from numerous reports, it encourages indiscriminate, unlawful arrests that not only violates the rights of San Franciscans, but it also humiliates and violates internal policies set by the SFPD. Just look at what Mission Local published about how y'all treated the underage people. No bathroom breaks, no snacks, no calls, no nothing. It's, it's just frankly unjustified and gross. These policies have real negative impacts and they waste time and taxpayer dollars fighting the lawsuits that people are well within their rights to levy upon the city of San Francisco. There's already a huge distrust for the police in this city. Just look at this whole doom loop narrative. And these practices only deepen that wedge. Just think about what these 113 plus people are gonna feel about the police for the rest of your life. When people say fuck the police, this is what they mean. There's not going to be any kind of trust for them growing up. Increasing the police budget is useless if we have to spend it on lawsuits. There's no point in giving you more money if you're going to be funneling it to defend yourself for policies that you just decided had no negative consequences. There are real negative consequences. Ban this practice now of kettling in all forms. Good evening, I'm Rachel Letterman. I'm a civil rights lawyer with the Partnership for Civil Justice at National Civil Rights Organization, and I'm a very long-term resident of the Mission District um, with a, a long history of um, litigating and working for uh, police reforms and uh, 
uh, frankly, I haven't seen anything exactly like this in San Francisco since 1991, the incident that Dick Becker was referring to uh, when uh, we had to file a class action lawsuit at substantial cost to the city. Um, and uh, since then, I thought that the San Francisco police had gotten a bit better about knowing when you're allowed to arrest somebody for a crime and that you can't simply sweep people up off the street as if they're garbage to um, prevent a gathering. Of, I talked to literally dozens of the families and I don't think I've talked to one single um, youth or adult arrestee who actually uh, heard dispersal orders and had an opportunity to disperse justifying an arrest for failure to disperse. Instead, uh, these kids, some of the, of the kids I've talked to have been as young as 13, uh, were passing by or maybe trying to skateboard or watch the skateboard event or simply in, passing through the area when they were trapped between police lines, kettled, not giving it an opportunity to leave. In fact, some of these kids, they're good kids and then they saw police and so they walk up to the police and ask for instructions, what am I supposed to do to leave the area? And then the police direct them to turn around and go right into the police kettle where they're blocked in and not given an opportunity to leave. And then, so not only- Thank you, that is your two minutes. I'm sorry, that's not how it works. It's two minutes per person. Hello, my name is Magic Altman. I've been a police brutality activist for over 15 years. I worked on the use of force policy that is talking about de-escalation. There was no attempt at understanding or caring for our youth. In fact, this was a planned ambush where there was, there was riot gear in the vans where the police had been parking for hours to wait to attack our youth. Let's be clear, it's hard to be a kid right now. They don't even know if future is a thing anymore. And they have a few hours where they can feel free and, and be themselves and show who they are and have camaraderie and this is what we do to them? Make them shiver in the cold or afraid, don't give them any uh, uh, understanding of their legal rights, they peed on themselves, they didn't have food, water. What is the matter here? So, as a uh, elder activist, mother and grandmother, I declare officially we are restarting our defund the police campaign. I was up for nine hours during Black Lives Matter when 200 people called in to this commission until five in the morning to say why they wanted to defund the police. We don't want you in our neighborhoods. We don't want your guns. We don't want you there. We want the money to go to housing, health care, art programs.
programs for the kids. And this is what's going to happen next year. Skateboarders rule. Come to our car-free event with our amazing, talented youth, putting on a show of breathtaking acts of courage and skill. All ages welcome. A pollution-free art form that is also a practical form of transportation. Brilliant. Hi, I'm a parent. My name is Lisa. My son had dinner with me at 8.20 p.m., and he asked if he can go to his friend's house. So I said, sure, with his two friends that also had dinner with us. 15, maybe 18 minutes later, he was detained. He was not at the event. He was traveling up 17th on his scooter with his two friends. They saw the police. They didn't know what was going on. The police told him, go that way. So they did. When they went that way, there was a row of riot cops. They then, then they nabbed him. They grabbed him. They detained him. They swift-tied or zip-tied him. He sat on the ground until 1 a.m. in the morning. No. They took his phone. He wasn't allowed to call me. I didn't know where he was. He never made it to his friend's house. Can you imagine what that's like? I'm just telling you, I was frantic, not knowing where he was. At 3.30 in the morning, I got a call from the police to tell me that I can come get my son. That's how it went. He also told me that he was forced to pee in a bucket and girls peed their pants. So I'm just like, that is what happened. Innocent kids, and even kids that might have been looking at what was happened, got arrested. That is unacceptable. This can never happen again. Um, good evening. My name is Tab Buckner, and um, I resent the fact that I went to two rallies today about our police department. I began at 850 Bryant Street because of Sean Moore, whose uh, murder at his own home resulted in dropped charges. Uh, many people spoke, including the, the uh, Reverend Amos Brown, to express their outrage. And here I am again. What happened last Saturday was excessive, it was abusive, and traumatic. Is that what we're teaching our young people about civic engagement? I don't think so. It's very difficult to know about what's happening with our city budget's development, how the police department is asking over and over and getting over and over again more huge amounts of money by the millions, when in the meantime we're cutting all of these critical programs, even food banks. It makes no sense and it's outrageous. I also remember uh, the Rodney King riots of 91, which led to the demonstrations in 92, when our police chief did indeed lose his job uh, because of abusive, excessive, um, huge numbers of police going out and rounding up people who are pe uh, peacefully demonstrating. Are we going in that direction again? Let's not make that happen. Please, let's get it right and start from top to bottom seeing some true reform because accountability is desperately needed. Good evening, commissioners. Good evening, uh, Chief Scott. Uh, so my name is David, like boy's name, David Bogachik, and I represent Ukrainian refugees community in San Francisco. So we are dealing now, like we have, like our community consists uh, predominantly uh, of uh, women with children, and many of them are like uh, teenagers. 
and these children are dealing with war trauma. So we have Anna here, like, uh, uh, who's, uh, she has like two teenagers, uh, like, uh, they uh, drove under ballots from Bucha, if you know, this is like a city, and uh, teachers of uh, her children were killed and everything. So, and what happened uh, in Dolores Park, it, it, it contradicts everything what I telling my community, and I'm very ashamed of it, because I'm telling, oh, this is a safe place, this is like where you can recover, where, where you can like deal with your trauma and like start your like, new life. So, as uh, like from our community, uh, actually, like I was a participant of Maidan, like Revolution of Dignity, and I don't know if you do, uh, if you know how it started because it first it started like just like peaceful protest, like we want to Europe and uh, all that. But when it turned in, it turned into revolution, then uh, that resulted in fleeing our president when pol riot police cruelly abused our youth, and then like. People like uh, really turned mad, and uh, like the revolution occurred. So I would not underestimate, and uh, we w we really need like comprehensive response to what happened, and ensure that it's not gonna happen ever. Not like just some like details on this case, but how uh, such cases could be like prevented at all. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Ozzy Cisneros. Um, I'd like to point out that, as Mr. Becker mentioned, uh, credibility may be lost. You guys have never cared about credibility. Um, May 28th, 2867th Street, or tw May 28th, 2867 22nd Street, I watched six uniformed officers let a woman get beat until she was stabbed, and that's when they realized that they should stop the beating by people in the street. You fear the communities that you're supposed to protect, police and leadership alike. Uh, it's disgusting to watch you do this to, to our city. On June 9th, I was on 24th and Treat at 9.07 p.m. The only reason I didn't get shot is because other people did. We watched your officers show up and step over people convulsing while people who we would all call unprepared tend to people that were probably dying. It's terrible to know that the guy that was shot in the head only survived because the bullet went through someone else first. And that guy, answers. It's disgusting. You all fear the community you're supposed to protect. And I can tell you anything and everything about the SFPD. I can ask you why you engrave guns on the bottom of your clips. Well, what do I gotta do to get in on that? You know, tell me. I am a very public member of this community. I can empathize in one night that I had to see the calls that you guys show up to. It changed my life, but the weak people in the leadership are making it hard for everyone else, and I don't think you guys care about that at all. So whatever happens to this city, it's in the hands of us to be a stronger community, and really the, the police have showed us time and time again, they will never be here for us, so. I'm a doctor from the Do No Harm Coalition. Chief Scott, I trained at UCSF and I was one of the doctors that took care of the Frisco Five. As healers accompanying communities affected by state-sanctioned violence in our collective struggle for health, dignity, and sovereignty, we are disgusted. What happened on Saturday night is blatant state-sanctioned child abuse. 
riot gear, threats with weapons, mass arrest, incarceration of children. I work in jails and prisons and care for those affected by the carceral system. These traumatic effect, events have lifelong lasting impacts on children's bodies and health, which in turn obviously impacts the wellness of our communities. Shooting rubber bullets at children, really. I've taken care of patients hit by rubber bullets who have been left severely disabled. This one man, half his face was essentially blown off and he was left unable to eat or talk. Defund, dismantle the police. Yeah. Police do not keep us safe, we keep us safe. And as someone who was born, raised, and educated in the city, I am so devastated about how San Francisco is becoming a police city and county. Hi, good evening. I'm here to talk about my son, Aubrey Abracasso, who was murdered August 14th at the Houston Overhead. To this day, next month will be the anniversary of his murder. To this day, the case is unsolved. I was putting this out because former Mayor Gavin Newsom said, he said, um, he know, he, Mayor Gavin Newsom said, I know who killed her son. The DA know who killed her son. The police know who killed her son. Still to this day. And if they know who killed my son, and here they have all the names of the perpetrators that murdered my son that day. Hannibal Thomas, Paris Moffitt, Andrew Badu, Jason Thomas, Anthony Hunter, and Marcus Carter. One is deceased today. I asked for, here it is, this article that was in uh, October uh, 2000. 22. It says San Francisco has paid zero reward to solve unsolved homicide in nearly a decade. I've been asking to find ways to pay tipsters to pay to come forth. No one wants to come forth because they're scared or scared of retaliation. Some way that you can protect them and pay and pay them to give some kind of information so that mothers like myself can heal. I've been coming here every week, every week on Wednesdays, nonstop. No mother wants to be standing over their son. No mother, auntie, nobody wants to do this. I live this every day. This is what the perpetrators left me with. A dead son laying on the gurney, lifeless, help please. For members of the public that have any information regarding the murder of Aubrey Abacasso, you can call the anonymous 24-7 tip line at 415-575-4444. My name is Rebecca Ruiz. I'm here today with the mother of Idris Stelly, Misha Arizari. Idris, Idris was murdered in 2001 by SFPD during a mental health crisis. So we know the violence of SFPD is nothing new. Idris should still be alive today. Keith O'Neill should still be alive today. Sean Moore should still be alive today. It's a, we have a systematic intentional problem 
of the brutal clowns that apply to work at SFPD. Let's never forget that SFPD was involved in the Celeste child sex trafficking scandal. Child abuse is nothing new to SFPD. <laughs> and under Breed and Jenkins, they're bringing in more CHP. They're bringing the National Guard and throwing the lion's share of the budget to a notoriously abusive police department. I read that these preteens were zip-tied so tight that their wrists bled in the dead of night until 4.30 a.m. Folks say, you know, these are good kids, but this shouldn't happen to any kids. This shouldn't happen to anybody, anyone. I'm not here. I'm not here to ask for more training because we know from the studies, training doesn't work. We can only disinvest in the violent terrorist gang that is San Francisco Police Department. Hello, my name is Matthew Cantor. Uh, I want to uh, thank everybody that's, that's spoken so far for uh, taking time away from their families and loved ones to come out and speak on this. As you can tell, there's a very turbulent, supercharged sentiment amongst your community, and it comes down to our children. Now, I don't have children of my own, but I've worked with children through the platform of skateboarding for over 30 years. I'm also an executive security professional, taking all the courses just to let you know that I see both sides of the fence on this. But a few of the speakers earlier said a very good word, and it's called de-escalation. There's also another phrase that I feel like should be built into your, like, your archetype, and that's make it safe. Keep it safe. This isn't anything new. I've been to a bunch of Dolores Hill Bond. Oh, yeah, I've also been skateboarding since before most people have been born in this room. But, like, this isn't anything new. And it is what it is. Like, I'm not saying it's great. I'm not saying whatever. I live right by Dolores Park. I was walking to work, and I saw some explosion go off where I was like, holy crap, I'm back in Iraq. Okay. But I'm not here advocating for those people. I'm here advocating for the children the emphasis on children who were just skateboarding. And we need to figure it out. We need to be able to meet our community halfway. We need to be able to figure out a way where we can say, hey, we're in San Francisco. This is what you want to do. We'll make it safe. Because at the end of the day, don't forget, you are our public servants. And these are people's children. And let's just figure out a way to compromise. And, you know, if you can't compromise, then de-escalate. Don't take kids to jail until four something in the morning. Because when I was walking home from work, I met all of the parents whose Hi, y'all. My child was um, arrested this Saturday. One thing that struck me was that he had a junior police sticker on his sweater. And I was like, how did this happen? And I'm looking at your website, and it says, in, in order to protect life, sorry, well, we will provide service with understanding, response with compassion, performance with integrity, and law enforcement with vision. 
And I don't know where that was this Saturday, honestly. Where was that? Where was the de-escalation, as everybody has said? My, I don't know why my child wasn't arrested. I'll let you, if you're going to have this on your website, at least live by it, not just put it up there. Thank you for your time. Next speaker. Next speaker. Hey, commissioners, my name is Jesse Fernandez. I coordinate a bike program uh, for an environmental justice organization here in the city. We offer support for bike curious folks in our community to give bikes a go. Uh, but more than that, though, I think that we offer a space for youth especially to feel like they have a place in this city that is increasingly hostile to them because of gentrification, because of displacement, because of the drug epidemic, because of homelessness, unaffordable housing, underfunded schools, and criminalization. In recent months, this commission has led um, on important changes to the relationship of vulnerable communities um, and law enforcement, such as the amendments to pretext stops. Um, I urge this commission to exercise all options to investigate this abuse of power, to drop charges for these youth who were subject to militarized force by trained officers. There's no excuse for this. Defund the police. Uh, I'll call up uh, DPA. Uh, Sarah Hawkins. Thank you. I just wanted to let members of the public know that there is a senior investigator from DPA, Steve Ball, who's standing outside. If anyone wants to speak with DPA or file a complaint with DPA, you can also call <coughs> us at 415-241-7711 or fill out a complaint online on our website, which is https colon backslash backslash sfgov.org slash DPA. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you to everyone who spoke. Thank you for giving me a few minutes to give uh, to speak. My name is Jim Thebo. I'm a lifelong skateboarder. I'm a partner and owner of a skateboard company in San Francisco that's been in business in this city for over 33 years. I believe in skateboarding. I believe in skateboarders. I believe in the youth. And I believe that skateboarding can change the world for the better. I'm disappointed by what happened on Dolores the other night. It's clear the city's response to the event was hugely excessive. And the city of San Francisco has a deep, rich cultural history surrounding skateboarding, a diverse, beautiful, young culture that stands alone and special in the rest of the world. I hope in the future the city of San Francisco recognizes and embraces that and works closer with its skateboarding community and youth and together can both make a positive change for many. I also hope that some serious review of the excessive use of police force towards primarily minor contingent in this situation is examined and hopefully never happens again. Thank you again for your time. Next speaker. Next speaker. Hi. Uh, thank you for all you folks for showing up and speaking. Um, I was called by my son uh, at around 9.15 on Saturday night. I said, are you okay? Uh, and he said no, and he began to tell me what happened. Um, and this is a kid who had never been in a situation like that before. He was really scared. He was cold. He was upset. Uh, I had my little daughter and my niece with me. My older daughter came right over with her partner. Um, I left where I was with my little kids and came out into the night at uh, Guerrero and 17th. I uh, couldn't believe what I was seeing. There was a neighbor that lived there, unable to get into his apartment. 
Uh, there was a line of cops with shields. There was a big line of paddy wagons, big line of uh, cars. And I turn around to my daughter and I go, the police station is right over there. Did they start processing some of these other moms? And I, I see two, three moms I know, and they're like, no, they won't tell us anything. They won't let us get near our kids. I have brought a whole bunch of waters. None of the kids were allowed to have a drink of water. Uh, apparently, like my son said, they were asking some cops to please at least pull their hoods up for them, and that request was denied by the first few cops, so they were freezing. It was very cold, and they were all sitting on that cold, cold ground. Um, we waited for hours with the understanding that each kid was gonna be given to their parent, to a responsible adult. When 2.30 in the morning came around, they just let those kids out like nothing. I saw one kid way after BART was closed with no one there to help him. They did nothing to make sure that the right kid was with the right adult. They wouldn't answer any of our questions. A big brawl broke out in front of what used to be the elbow room. I saw a girl get beat down. Us moms were hammering on the glass like, hey, hey, Go help them, somebody is getting hurt. They were like, yeah, we'll call someone. I wasn't shocked because I grew up seeing in my earliest childhood days. In Thank you, I'm sorry your two minutes is over. Next speaker. Just want to say this is a real cool group. This not so much. <laughs> um, yeah, my name is uh, Blanche Kriege. I was, am a resident of the Bobby Jean Baker House, art, part of the Art Trans Home, which is funded by the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. The following situations detail the police's responses to my experiences there. Uh, on or about August 5th of last year, I moved in and since then I was the subject of a continued and uh, increasingly har harsh campaign of sexual harassment, abuse, and intimidation. <clears throat> in, uh, in February of this, of this year, I went to the Mission Street Station, gave a statement describing my sexual harassment, assault, and abuse, and burglary by the hands of St. James Infirmary staff, I'll call them SGI from now on. Nothing was done. No investigation was done. I followed up with um, SVU, nothing. On, on April 3rd, the mayor's office issued an order to SGI saying to pause all actions against me. This was done in response to two articles that were published about me in the Bay Area Reporter. And that's Blanche Kriege, B-L-A-N-C-H-E-K-R-I-E-G-E, for those of you keeping track at home if you want to Google it there. <clears throat> On May 1st, uh, Precious Tolbert, an accomplice, was arrested for a TRO violation. She's an accomplice of TRO that was retained to harass and intimidate me out. I was forced out later and beaten by their staff. My dog was kicked. I was kicked. I was brutally beaten and abused. Did the cops force me back in? No, they allowed them to do that and no charges were pressed. I wanted charges pressed. Nothing was done. Nothing. Not allowed back in. <clears throat> I stated my case again on June 28th to an open, uh, open on town hall to uh, Thomas Harvey about the shortcomings. Next speaker. 
is Leah McGeever. Safer than last year or 2020 is how District 8 Supervisor Raphael Rafi Mandelman responded on social media to a person's critique of SFPD's monstrous show of force against kids, teens, and young, young adults skaters at Dolores Park's Hillbomb Saturday. There are many things to question about SFPD's response and many more things to criticize about the supervisor's heartless quip about police brutality against kids. But I want to address his claim of this being done to the youth because of safety concerns. First, how is safety being measured here? By physical harm or by trauma, both physical and mental? We know physical injuries can heal much faster than mental or emotional ones. Were all of the skater kids polled and asked if they felt safer this year than the previous years? Do several girls being forced to pee in their pants while zip-tied inside a muni bus and not being allowed to speak to their parents count as a win for safety? We really need to know how our government's and SFPD's definition of safety is what it is, especially for black and Latin kids who are already over-policed and girls and trans kids. Which bus were trans kids put on? For real, which bus were trans kids put on? Second, safety can be used by anyone as a means of oppression. I'll use the Nazis as an example. On November 9th, 1938, the Knights of Broken Glass, where, viol where violence uh, by Nazi mobs was uh, used against Jewish communities. Many synagogues were burned. It was a horrible, horrible 48 hours. Uh, police, though, arrested the victims. Police rounded up Jewish men for their safety. Nazis said burning synagogues, synagogues was done for safety. So again, I ask, what is the definition of safety here and for who? Because as you just heard, anyone can claim safety, and we all know it's bullshit. Over 100 kids and young adults were traumatized for what purpose? My brother was tackled by police, guns drawn oh, 20 years ago to this year, when he was 13 years old, just because he was playing skateboarding. It was the day his childhood was shattered, and this was done in mass Saturday in San Francisco. Next speaker. Good fucking evening. My name is Jordan. My pronouns are she, her, or they, them. On Saturday, a bunch of kids were hanging out, celebrating life at the Dolores Street Hill bomb. Dolores Park Hill bomb, pulling move my, moves my klutzy ass could never pull, when the violent fucking thugs of the SFPD responded with brutal fucking excessive force, and kids pissed and probably shit themselves and couldn't contact their parents until 4 a.m. Is this what you call protecting and serving? Because I think it's bullshit. Our city could have helped deal with any issues that have arisen in a non-fucking carceral way. Who fucking cares about graffiti and some officer's boo-boo? Children's innocence were lost. I would call you pigs, but that is offensive to pigs. I will end this comment by re reworking a classic song by New York hardcore band Agnostic Front. SF Police State, SF Police State, SF Police State, SF Police State, you know we hate you, you know we hate you, you know we hate you. London Breed, London Breed, London Breed, fuck you. Brooke Jenkins, Brooke Jenkins, Brooke Jenkins, fuck you, die. I yield my time, fuck you. <laughs> Uh, next speaker. That's a tough act to follow. <laughs> um, greetings, officers, uh, Chief Scott, commissioners. Um, some of you might recognize me, um, not as a skateboarding member, but as a president of the Mission District Merchants Association. I'm also a lifelong skateboarder. I'm, I've been in the skate industry for roughly 17 years. I've also been locked up for skateboarding. Um, I've had my skateboard taken away for literally just walking through Embarcadero because skateboards were not allowed. That happened in the 90s. Uh, as the years have gone by, I noticed things have kind of softened up with skateboarding. 
Sometimes I'll go out and about. Sometimes I'll skip the library by myself. Doesn't matter if someone's got a weapon on them and in the open, the first place the sheriffs go to is me, the skateboarder. Now, putting on my mission merchant's hat, I try to look at it through a non-biased perspective. I listen to the elders that don't understand skateboarding and they might not feel safe when a kid's going by them you know, at an excessive speed. I can understand that. What I don't understand is why there was no outreach. We knew this fire was gonna happen. Why let the fire happen just so you could put it out? Why not avoid the fire from happening? And that comes through coordination. There could have been outreach. Rafa could have reached out to us. Hey, we heard there's a skate event happening. Is there anything the skate community can do to rally it so it doesn't get out of control? There was no outreach. I'll be honest, I didn't know about the skate event. My bad. I heard about it a few hours before it happened. I had no idea it was gonna turn in this kind of situation. Um, let's note that there is not a single sanctioned place to skate in all of D8. Let's just take a minute for that. So Rafa's response on Twitter was really disappointing because he was happy to see a bunch of kids get arrested, but he didn't think about any solutions to avoid this in the future. Heavy response is not the only way to deal with problems. As a community, as a city of San Francisco, it's important that we come to peaceful solutions rather than aggression. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Rocco, I'm 15, and I was one of the kids arrested and detained on that night, and I'm just gonna explain what happened. So I heard about it like a week before through one of my friends, and I went to go see it, and I got there when police were already there at the bottom of the hill. They had already closed everything down. They had full like suits on and everything, and they had their, their rubber bullet guns out, and they were basically like trying to make everybody go go back. So I went back down the street I came, and then they started blocking us in and making us go all the way back up the street. We just came in and forcing us to turn right down Dolores. So I'm going down the street. And it's either you keep going straight down that street or you try to go back to the train so I could go home because obviously the event already got shut down. So I'm going down that street to get back to the train. And that's when I get trapped. And a bunch of uh, police just trap us in that street. And then they, they, uh, they never told us why we were being detained or anything, they just they just told us to sit down and shut up. And so we were just sitting on the ground forever, not knowing what was happening. And we would go up and ask the cops and most of them would just tell us to go back and sit down and they wouldn't tell us why we were being detained. And they kept saying the bus was gonna come, the bus was gonna come, they said that for like six hours straight. And then I realized, I looked it up on my phone, I realized that the police station is half a block down so it's like they have like 60 guys out there in, in SWAT team suits and stuff. They couldn't just march us half a block down to the station. So we, we were just waiting out there forever. And then finally, like 1 a.m., they finally zip tie us. So we were zip tied standing there against the wall for another hour. And then finally, like 2.30 a.m., they finally bring this bus to get like the rest of the, to get the last of us. So they finally get the, the bus down there at 2.30 a.m. and they take us half a block to the station where they, instead of just like processing us or anything, they just put us in the outside cell for another, for another like. Next speaker. Next, next speaker, please. Uh, 
Uh, next speaker. Uh, please let the speaker speak and uh, listen. Defund SFPD. Defund SFPD. Defund SFPD. Defund SFPD. Defund SFPD. Defund SFPD. My name is Nancy. I'm with the Party for Socialism and Liberation. And yes, we are here today. And yes, absolutely, we will, we will be here next week. And we will be here until all of you are gone. Because I know what you will say. Oh, what will happen to crime if police are gone? Don't you understand? You are the crime. You are the organized crime. That we don't need you to keep us safe. That we keep each other safe. That we know what keeps people safe. And that's food, that's housing, that's jobs. And you should all be ashamed of yourself. Because we are not funding our programs that actually keep people safe because we keep giving the money to you. You are parasites to this society and you need to be gone. You need to be out of our city because you do not keep us safe. Because all I have seen you do is harass homeless people, is harass black people, is harass people of color, is harass people who are struggling, and now harass kids. That's what you want to be known for. You should all be ashamed of yourself. And this is not to you. This is to everybody else in this room that we can organize, we can come together, and we can build a society that actually keeps us safe. Because this society is not working for anybody. And we're going to be here next week. Is that right? Yeah. And we're going to be here for weeks to come until we organize to defund your ass because you do not need to be in our streets terrorizing our youth, terrorizing our communities. Are we going to fight? Yeah. Are we going to fight? Yeah. Are we going to win? Yeah. Are we going to win? Yeah. So keep coming out with us. Talk to somebody you don't know. Keep getting organized because together we're going to build a better society and you better believe. Thank you very much. Uh, next speaker. My name is Camila, and I'm also a member for the Party for Socialism and Liberation. And I too am here with the community outraged, disgusted, but full of rage, ready to fight. This city just pours money into a body that continues to criminalize, demoralize, and target working class people. They criminalize our youth and our streets. What kind of city attacks kids? What kind of city uses the police force and riot gear to prevent them from skating, literally skating? Did y'all not have a childhood? Did y'all not enjoy your youth? Are the people of San Francisco supposed to not enjoy things? You don't house us, you don't feed us, you don't represent us. All you do is criminalize us. And now when people try to find a joy in the midst of this chaos that you have created, you take that away too. You state that you keep these streets safe. I don't know about anybody of us here, but I've never felt safe with any of you around, knowing what y'all are capable of doing with those guns, when you can just take them and use them whenever you want to. So you better hold yourself accountable because we pay your salaries. The only reason why y'all have salaries is because it's because of our tax money. So you don't get to live all freely off of our tax money to criminalize us. Like everyone said, we want you gone. And we want a better system that states you gone. Thank you.
Next speaker. Hi, my name is Ediberto Jimenez. I was one of the 81 children arrested that night. I remember I showed up to the I showed up to the event and I did not see people. I did not see a city who was there to help the community, who was there to who was there to protect the children. I saw cops with riot gear. I saw rifles pointed at us for the simple act of skating. I was arrested that night and kept there for five hours, held wow. sa sat on the ground not being told what I was detained for, not being told that I was arrested. I was not read my rights when I was taken and zip-tied and kept against a wall. And then, I was and then I was marched a half a block to the station and shoved, in a dark and shoved in a room outside with a bunch of other kids. None of us knew what was going on. I sat there as we yelled at the cops to help a 12-year-old kid who was shivering in the cold because he was kept outside for five hours. They did nothing. I watched as people, as people pissed on themselves because they were kept there for five hours, again. And many people talk about how they knew this event was gonna happen, and that's why the cops were there. There were so many other things this community could have done that the cops could have done. There could have been paramedics there. There could have been, there could have been ambulances. If you were really worried about the kids, there would have been people there to help them. There would not have been cops with rifles shooting at people. I know people that got shot with rubber bullets simply because they were there. They didn't do anything else besides be there. And many of you might say they were criminals. They were not. You guys, came, you guys came there, and you guys were all ready to get on people for the simple act of skating. You weren't there to help people. You were there to shoot at them. You were there to, to provoke them. You provoked them until people started fighting back. The only time people were doing anything, it was a peaceful event, up until cops showed up with riot gear. They showed up with batons. They showed up with rifles. Nobody was doing anything to the cops at all until they started pushing people away from an event that has been happening for years. I've gone to that event for years. I've skated down that hill. Yes, it is dangerous, but you guys made it far more dangerous. You, you put so many more lives at risk instead of being there and helping the community. Uh, next speaker. Hi, uh, my name is Gwen McLaughlin. I'm a born and raised San Franciscan, and I'm also a member of the Democratic Socialists of America, uh, the San Francisco chapter. Um, but I just want to echo the comments of the last speaker. Yeah, like the DP Hill bomb and skating in general is a beloved San Francisco tradition. It's been going on for years. It will continue to go on for years, no matter how many riot police you bring out to beat kids. So maybe instead of doing that and misusing all the city funds, there could be, like the previous speaker just said, ways to actually ensure that this event is safe for the community. Because I know that skaters love this city a lot, and I don't know why this city can't love them back. Um, yeah, we already heard about all the brutality, about the kettling, kids pissing themselves, getting beaten down on by the ground. There are videos of that. There's like a video of a little girl who must be like six years old with a unicorn helmet on a scooter, getting like with riot gear police approaching her. It's genuinely just so ridiculous and outrageous and unacceptable in a city like San Francisco for any whatever like staffers or city hall people here. Like if your freaking elected officials haven't said something about this at this point, like what are they doing? Wake up, wake up, this is not okay. And then I just want to say, too, for anyone that's trying to talk about, yeah, like community safety or how we, you know, keep the community safe, it's ridiculous to try to claim that a bunch of kids, literally, like you heard about, 12, 13, 14, skating down a hill 
is somehow some crazy danger to our community when two weeks ago some dumb police officers rammed their whole ass cruiser car into a into a beloved community business like who is endangering our community who is the skater the 12 year old skaters or the police officers ramming cars into buildings and injuring citizens thank you thank you very much uh, next speaker Good evening, commissioners. My name is Stephen Torres. Like yourself, I am also a city commissioner and serve on an advisory board, the Castro LGBTQ Cultural District and San Francisco Entertainment Commission. I speak on behalf of neither. Um, I am encouraged to hear that this will be agendized for the next hearing, although I want to express my grave concern and frank shock at the testimony of what's being shared this evening. The organic events that happen in San Francisco are part of the fabric of the city. And safety contingencies and mitigations for organic events such as Dyke March that occurred just a couple of weeks beforehand do not involve excessive force. If we are telling the youth of the community that this is how we are going to react to them, we are not centering them and we are not holding them as the future of this community. And in fact, we are telling them that they are not the future of this community. I, I request that an investigation occur and that um, something happen to address everything that is being shared today. When I hear reports of mothers in regards to them not knowing where their children are, it, it sends pangs to my heart my mother had to experience her, that herself when she knew that she had, two, three had, she had three brown children out and that we often would oftentimes get harassed by the police. Please take this seriously and do something about it. Thank you. Thank you much. Uh, next speaker. Hello, I'm Kai, and I'm a part of Gap Youth Excelsior, a Filipino National Democratic Org that fights for the rights of women in the Philippines and here in SF. We know that 113 skaters were arrested, along with youth kept from their parents, denied basic rights like using the bathroom or getting water, even getting shot with, with rubber bullets. Is this what our tax money is being used for, to terrorize our youth? One billion do tax dollars allocated by London Breed to protect her own greedy interests and not the people she's meant to be serving. Drop the charges on the Hill Bomb Youth and defund the police. Thank you very much. Next speaker. Good evening. My name is Maggie, and I organize with Anagbayan City College of San Francisco, representing youth and students. I've seen the Dolores Hill Bomb happen for years with participating kids, teens, and young adults. But as the police bombarded and terrorized these kids, 113 unlawful arrests were made this weekend. This year in the mayor's budget, she increased the SFPD, making it a total of $1 billion. I can't even imagine $1 billion in my pocket right now. Only weeks after this budget proposal, we already see the negative impacts on our communities. Mayor Breach should have expected this to happen. She's directly hurting the youth, she's constantly attacking our communities, and she increases the police budget and wastes our tax dollars on events that only provide profit. For example, Breed has already allocated $10 million to host APEC, the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation, an event being hosted for one weekend in November for fascist billionaires from other countries to sell out their own people for free trade deals. 
So this blatantly shows where Breed's priorities lie. Our money is not going towards services for our people and for the youth. Breed only cares about money in the city's pocket. That actually won't help any of us. So when we use skateboarding to ease our minds over this city, constantly ignoring our calls for basic rights, we're met with police brutality and violence. Where can we win? Do y'all see us as people anymore? These kids are being arrested by grown adults who are power hungry. Riot gear was used on youth with no weapons, only skateboards. So when did a child holding a piece of wood and wheels require police officers to hold weapons directly in their face? This incident shows that the SFPD are not properly trained in de-escalation tactics, something we already don't see and what ultimately doesn't even work. So what is this police budget even being used for when they're not being properly trained and they're not helping the people? We need to defund the police. These kids will remain scarred and they will remember this for the rest of their lives. What those officers did were absolutely disgusting and they should be ashamed of themselves. If you care about us, you will listen to all of our calls. We all came here today to show you that we will not let this slide as residents of San Francisco. So kick flips, not cops. Grind rails, not riot gear. Defund the police. Thank you. Uh, next speaker. Hi, my name is Paige Burkhardt Lima. I am a teacher and a fourth generation SF local. It's disgusting to me that this happened. As a teacher, my number one job is safety. Number one. Supposedly, that's supposed to be SFPD's job too. No child is deserving of treatment like this for any reason, especially for a culturally significant athletic and arts event that happens every year. Where was the community outreach? You guys totally could have supported this and made it safer, and instead you show up and completely, oh my gosh, I mean 113 kids arrested, left on the street, cold, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. I had a kindergartner get really excited yesterday about a present she was going to give her little sister. It was a skateboard. She said she was going to get one too so she could teach her and support her in her learning. It made me shudder to think this is what she and her three-year-old sister have to look forward to. Do not mistake this for what it is. This is child abuse. This is child abuse by SFPD. <laughs> SFPD are child abusers. Defund the police immediately. Thank you. Next speaker. All right, y'all. Um, I'm not really good with written speeches, so I'm not gonna go with that. But instead, I'm gonna note a few things. First off, on your officer of the week, um, you mentioned that he comes in on the weekends and stays late. How much does he get in OT for that? How much of that extra money does he get? How much to OT did your officers get when they started brutalizing children? Um, and for you to have the audacity to tell people, oh, call us, let us know if you were brutalized. You have body cam footage. Check it. It's gonna take time. Yeah, guess what? You already took the time to abuse kids. Fucking do it yourselves. And for the better part of the last decade, I have worked with youth. I have never once put my hands on a kid. I have had kids scream at me. I have had kids swing on me. I have had kids kick me. And never once have I needed to resort to physically hitting them or restraining them. You have guns, you have batons. 
what fucking threat do they pose to you? If you're too fucking scared to go in front of children, find a new fucking job. I'm so fucking serious. Yes, you, you, all of you, every single fascist here that has a badge and a gun on, check your shit, because if you can't handle it, then we don't want you around. Literally nobody wants you around. And uh, disrespectfully, go fuck yourselves. Uh, next speaker. Good evening. I, uh, I was out there on Saturday night between 11 p.m. and 2 in the morning, and I watched. The first thing that I noticed when I walked up was there were a lot of really young kids there. I didn't even know what was going on at first, and it was just very upsetting. There were young kids being held outside in the cold that they were not prepared for. I'm going to absolutely echo what was said earlier. This is child abuse. It is not okay to do this. And there's never an excuse to kettle children. Kids do dumb things. I used to do dumb things when I was a teenager. I grew up in the suburbs. And, a kid, and like the worst thing that would generally happen was a cops would come over and tell us to get out of there. And like, you know, there were other ways to deal with this, okay? Holding children, holding children, not releasing them. There were children who were urinating on themselves. They are never, that, I have been upset for nights thinking about what that trauma is going to be like for those kids. Uh, I was just speaking with Supervisor Mondelman who said that the police need overwhelming force and cannot be outnumbered. And he was saying this about an event that again, I would like to reiterate, there were children small children, 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, kids. This is, it is upsetting to think that this is a city where we think that the response to skateboarding is overwhelming force and riot gear and holding kids at one o'clock in the morning. You know what might make this safer? Hay bales would make this event safer, okay? Hay bales, if we have this technology, and I guarantee it is cheaper than the amount of overtime that was spent, thank you. Next speaker. Hi, um, I'm a teacher here in San Francisco with first graders. When I took a look at the pictures of Saturday night, I thought that riot gear looks expensive. Um, I wish I could get some money for chairs in my classroom, because I don't have enough. Um, as teachers, as teachers, we learn that we make the weather. And so I want to echo what our youth said. When you showed up in riot gear, you made the weather. You made all of those things happen. Um, we oppose Cop City in Atlanta, but where we are looking around and we know that Cop City is already here in San Francisco. In San Francisco, children are not allowed to climb trees in our park and in our parks. They are not allowed to skate in our streets. Their schools are underfunded. And in my experience, childhood in San Francisco is available for purchase, but the shutdown of the San Francisco Hill Bomb shows that childhood here is not free. Make no mistake, this is class warfare. You are terrorists. <laughs> We don't want you in our schools. We don't want you on our streets. We don't want you in our community. We are supporting the youth in building the future they deserve and you are not in it. As per usual in my work every day being here, I am inspired by the youth who I heard here tonight. You are brilliant, you are brave, and you deserve better. Listen to them. Thank you very much, the next speaker. 
Uh, hello, uh, members of the police commission. Uh, I apologize for being late. I was also uh, discussing this with Supervisor Mandelman. Uh, he doesn't get it. Uh, the board is, I don't trust the board of supervisors. I don't trust the mayor who keeps asking for more overtime for police to waste on beating children. Uh, I charge it with you, the members of this commission, to investigate this thoroughly, to hold people responsible for abusing children this way. Uh, if the members of San Francisco Police Department can't handle a bunch of kids, what are we doing here? I'm not afraid of kids. I was there that night. I was afraid of the cops who stopped my bus, who ordered me around, who pointed assault rifles at me and my wife. I'm not afraid of children. If the cops are, you can't do this job. Get out of my city. Next speaker. Hello, I was on the 33 at around 8 p.m. on Saturday night. Um, the bus was stopped at 18th and Dolores. I was so confused, I had no idea what was going on. And then through the front window, I could see a cop in full riot gear. And I was so scared, I had no idea what was going on. We get off the bus and it's children. I was so surprised to see all of this force for all of these kids. The children were not making me scared, the cops were. This was a totally unnecessary show of force. I was heartbroken to find out when I got home that these children were detained. Some were not even participating in the event, they were just spectating. I'll echo what others have said, this is child abuse. I ask you to drop the charges against the 113 youth. I ask for an investigation into what occurred and if even possible, I hope there's some sort of way to support the event next year. I really liked the idea of the hay bales. Listen to the kids, let's let this happen safely, thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Gloria Berry. I'm a member of the Democratic Party for identification purposes. I'm also a member of the San Francisco Reparations Committee for identification purposes. This incident that happened with this youth bring me back to when my daughter was detained, in de, de facto arrested and held in Tenderloin Station for six hours because they were trying to find someone that shot off a gun. And I remember being frantic, waiting all those hours, trying to figure out what the hell was going on, why was she in jail, and her boyfriend, and come to find out the next day they arrested everyone black at the BART station, that was set out over the radio. But they could not tell me anything because it just passed her 18th birthday. So I'm really confused on why these youth parents were not notified and um, moving along. I'm also concerned that I see skateboarders near my house all the time coming from school and me and my grandson sit out there and watch because it's, it's just a joy to see the, the uh, youth doing their thing and now I'm worried about him being interested in skateboarding because of what could happen to him because of the police. I'm also thinking about Tyree Nichols who was a boarder and the police killing him not because of skating but just the great personality he was but yet these youth were a stereotype that night. And whoever was the scene commander that night that was calling the shots on how this was handled needs to be disciplined to the fullest extent. And I also would like to know from the chief in his report if any youth were questioned without the presence of their parents and a lawyer. 
and also would like a copy of the briefing of what was told to these officers beforehand on why they had to handle it this way. Next speaker. Hi, my name is Chris Martinez. I own a uh, skateboard company here in San Francisco, longtime advocate of skateboarding. My son's my partner. We have a store on 6th Street. I've never seen the police take care of what they need to take care of on 6th Street. But you go after our kids like this? Are you kidding me? Wow. So now, now we have this. I was waiting for you guys to do your job, but you didn't. So let that sink in a little bit. I see it every day. You wanna come talk to me and see how to do your job? I do your job every day. You guys are getting paid for it. Am I getting paid for it? No, I'm not getting paid for it. But I'm protecting the youth. I'm protecting the youth every day. Every day I try to provide a safe space for them in a sea of chaos. And the cops roll up and I said, are you gonna get out your car and actually see what's going on? And they said, no, it's too dangerous. <laughs> Good job. Amazing, it's really truly amazing. We have a huge problem and it's not skateboarding. Skateboarding is not a crime. It's never been a crime and it never will be a crime. Figure it out, all of you. Seriously, it's a shame. Look at you guys, you have nothing, just blank looks on your face. It's, it's a total shame. And it's a sham too. I'm really disappointed in all this. It shouldn't have to happen like that. Get your priorities straight, Chief Scott. Seriously, get them straight. Next speaker. Hello, uh, my name is Liam McSpadden. Uh, I am a San Francisco native. I grew up here and I've been skateboarding for over 10 years now. Um, the first thing I wanna start off with is a lot of people have talked about that the, there could have been an outreach to the community for this event. After uh, somebody died in 2020, I specifically remember a tweet from, I believe it was Mendelman at the time, whoever the supervisor was, asking skateboarders to reach out to him to help organize the, better, the event better in the future. I know I personally and other of my friends reached out to him through Twitter and through email to try and contact him and to have the event happen safer in the future. Because from my experience, the only time the event really goes bad is when there isn't an older group of skateboarders or people from the community there who can police the event from the inside and actually keep things responsible. The 2020 people died, that was because none of the older people were actually there because it wasn't the official event organized by the community. Um, and then I think for me, the most frustrating thing about this is you guys should have known better. You guys did the exact same thing in 2017. You came with an escalated police response and you broke a kid's femur and got sued for it. Now you guys have come back five years later, taking all the tactics you learned from 2020 and the protests then, and you used them on teenagers. You kettled teenagers, you came there, it was a peaceful event, and you showed up with riot gear and rubber bullets and you incited a riot. The only people who should be getting a citing a riot charges are the cops who showed up and escalated that situation. The kids did nothing. It's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. Next speaker. My name is Kevin Ortiz. I'm the co-president of the San Francisco Latinx Democratic Club. I'm born and raised in the Mission District. 
Um, I think it's truly fascinating that on the night of the commission hearing an item on a juvenile diversion program that we're here organizing to speak about the mass arrest and child abuse that happened on Saturday night for a community-led and centered event. If you're outraged by what happened on Saturday, can you please raise your hand? Come on now. That's the entire room. 113 people arrested. 81 of them were minors. And we have a sitting supervisor defending the actions, saying that that was better in years past because no one died. Remember that when the next election comes up. If success is kids being zip tied for hours in the cold, soiling themselves because they're not allowed to use the restroom, then I hate to see failure. Oh wait, we have, with all the police deaths that are almost getting too high to count. Ask yourself, commissioners, how would you feel if that was your child? How would you feel if that was your grandmother? How would you feel if that was your partner, yourself? What you're seeing is a coalition of different communities coming together, skaters, mothers, teens, police reform activists, and businesses because of the clear civil and constitutional rights that were violated on Saturday. Skaters and our young people deserve places to congregate, to play, and to have fun. This city used to be a place for everyone, including our youth. Next year, the annual Hill Bomb should be community sanctioned, same with the 4th of July. There needs to be accountability from this commission on what happened. There needs to be an investigation into the Mission Police Station on the dehumanizing conditions that the police officers imposed on the community on the 4th of July and on the Hill Bomb. Drop the charges of these youth. The Com <laughs> Commissioners, you have the opportunity to prevent something much worse from happening because that's what's coming. And if you think the Dolores Hill, Hill, Hill Bomb was a riot, you're gonna see real riots if something worse happens. Thank you. Next speaker. I hope it is already clear that the people of San Francisco demand an investigation into the actions of every police officer and leader involved in the grotesque actions taken at last Saturday's Dolores Hill bomb. I also wanna ask this commission to the fullest extent possible to investigate how the police department colluded with the SFMTA to organize special buses to be used as paddy wagons to hold and transport these children for booking and the extent to which the police department utilizes the funding and manpower of other city agencies to carry out its premeditated acts of terror against children and others in San Francisco. Buses are not jails, and they must not be used to traumatize the people of the city, least of all its children. Furthermore, to the fullest extent you are able, investigate the involvement of District 8 Supervisor Raphael Mandelman in, in orchestrating this act of protracted violence, especially in light of the comments he made following this incident, which praised the actions of the cops and even called for escalation at next year's event. If he gave any directive or consent to the police prior to what happened in his district, he must be held accountable. Next speaker. Um, there's not much that I can say that hasn't already been said. Um, I'm a teacher as well. I've been spit on. I've broken up fights. Most teenage boys are a lot bigger than me. And I've never had to use force. I've never had to use anything more than words, not a single time. And guess what? If I had, you would have shown up to arrest me because that's child abuse. And that's what all of you participated in on Saturday. As you've all heard from everybody else, everybody's outraged. As you've heard from so many people, this isn't new. You've been over-policing the Mission District for a long time now. The community has come to you with alternate solutions. They've come to you with alternate ways to spend money, and you continue to give it to the police. And one of the first things we see you do after London Bree gives you more money is this. 
Thank you so fucking much, y'all. Thank you so much for showing the community exactly why so many people in this room, so many community organizers have been begging to take your money away. And you know what I saw most of all? These kids aren't dangerous, but they sure as hell are powerful. Look how scared of them you are. Look how scared of them you are when they come together for collective joy, when they come together to prove that they can keep each other safe, that they can keep each other in community. So as somebody already said, yes, please talk to somebody you don't know already. Please organize with each other because this isn't what keeps us safe. This is what keeps all of us safe. Next speaker. Hi. <laughs> um, tonight, I want to read some of your use of force code of conduct policy because there's been, um, it seems like you've forgotten what that means. So in regards to vulnerable populations, the use of force against vulnerable populations, including children, can undermine public trust and should be used as a last resort when all other reasonable means have been exhausted. Why was there use of force to begin with? This is a community event, which I don't know if you guys even know how to define community. It's really disgusting. Furthermore, we keep saying defund the police, defund the police. You're going to defund yourself with lawsuits. In 2018, more than a quarter of a million dollars was paid out to a skater who was kicked by an officer at that hill bomb event. What do you think the amount will be paid out for these lawsuits? The community demands an investigation into the events that happened at Dolores Park Hill Bomb, and we will be back with another Hill Bomb probably sooner than you think. Yeah. Next speaker. Hey everyone, um, my name is Joe Shrillo. I've um, been skating in the city for 30 years. I'm a therapist and social worker. I'm also with the SF Skate Club after school program. Um, so I was. I was at there um, at Dolores Street uh, 4.30 on Saturday just to see what the scene was like before setting up. Um, and props to everyone who explained what happened, but just wanted to, for the record, um, at 4.30, there was an EMT van, like an ambulance, at the top of uh, 21st Street behind three blocks of barricades behind cops. That stayed there throughout the whole event. So if safety is a concern, like a lot of things were not in place. Um, and first of all, just give props to all the youth who spoke, you know, because it takes a lot, of, a lot of courage to do public speaking, uh, especially like speak, speak in front of an institution that, that has really harmed you. Um, there's a lot of trauma going on, so it's time for us to continue to support each other, have solidarity. Um, I would like to say to the officers, um, it is very honorable to have a profession where you are in the street putting your life on the line. Um, what is not honorable is to use that authority um, to intimidate and use bully tactics to the youth. Um, and this is, <laughs> as skaters, we, we fall, we break bones. We are not afraid of challenges. So when, you know, if the excuse was that you had to use force against people with fireworks, um, using force indiscriminately ac across the whole place, it's only gonna trigger people. It's gonna make people freeze or it's gonna trigger them to react in, in unexpected ways. Um, so for safety, that, that is never gonna work with skaters. Um, and next year, if 
you know, among the institution, among, among the police, if you're talking about doing similar tactics in the future, what is honorable is to speak up against that, to not engage in this type of violence. What is honorable is to remember that you're here to protect and serve us. Um, and like people said, communication is the key. It's all about proactive engagement with us. Um, and and we're, we're here, we're in the streets all the time. So, you know, talk to us and continue the solidarity. Thank you. Next speaker. Hello, my name is Nick, member of Code Resistance, lifelong skateboarder, participant of the Hill Bomb previous years. Um, it's disgusting what you all did, but it also it's not surprising because like that's SFPD's MO. It's just do this fucking bullshit all the time. Like you really have no regard for our communities and we're really tired of it. I'm glad to hear so many different folks coming out here, teachers, youth, organizers. Like it's time that we really need to get together and fight back. Like I'm not really talking to them, I'm talking to us. Like what is happening with the mayor, DA Jenkins, with them wanting to open up a jail again, with them fighting the closure of Juvie? Is this a long-term plan for you to, re to say why we can't close Juvie? Because you just arrested a bunch of kids? Is this gonna up the numbers so then you get to the number threshold so you can push to open a new jail? The prison industrial complex is working hard here in San Francisco from the mayor's office to the board of supervisors to this room and us as people of the city, we need to get together and fix this because they are not going to do it because they don't want to do it. They feed the Chronicle their BS press releases and the Chronicle just prints them like it's gospel, but we know it's lies. We know you're lying to us, and we're tired of it, and we're gonna come for your money because just like the teacher said, they need chairs, they need to just get paid. How's it y'all just get to go to Mayor Breed or the board and just ask for any kind of money and you just get it, and then they pit all of our organizations against each other for pennies? Let us understand that this is a system that we have to destroy. I got nothing else to say to y'all, you jokes. Next speaker. Good evening, my name is Leslie Hu. I'm the Secretary of United Educators of San Francisco. I represent over 6,500 educators here in San Francisco. Um, and I just am going to start my 18th year as an educator and social worker here. And here's what I do know. I do know that as the last couple of days have unfolded, that all of us educators are having to start creating healing circles in our classrooms. When we come back in a few weeks, all the things that we have to heal in terms of the harm that was inflicted upon our young people is deep and profound in ways that is hard to explain. But you heard it from their families, you heard it from their churches and community-based organizations and in schools. And this is profound in ways that we don't understand. Every single time something like this happens, it reverberates. We have to pick up the pieces. And so f I have an invitation for all of you um, commissioners. I'd like to invite you to one of our schools and listen to the impact this has had on our young people. I would love to connect you 
with our students and our young people who have been deeply impacted. When I look at those videos, those are my students. Almost all of my friends we work in secondary, these are our young people, these are our students. And now we have to pick up the pieces of that. School starts in a couple weeks. My information is very easily available. I'd like to invite all of you commissioners to come out and hear us and hear them. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next speaker. My name is Gabriela, and I'm one of the parents whose kid got arrested that night. I have two kids who's been going there for years. I've actually have taken them when they were little because they've been skating for many years. And my 18-year-old, luckily, had just left 10 minutes before. He's autistic, and I was so happy that he was skating. Like, when he started skating at middle school, you, it was a, a, a change because this kid didn't care if he was autistic, if he... Uh, knew how to socialize, he was welcome into the skating world. And I was so happy that for once he felt welcome. They didn't ask him where he was from. They didn't ask him like what tricks he knew. He was just accepted. And I was really, really, really devastated when I heard that my other son had just been held back 10 minutes talking to a friend. My daughter went to pick up my other son. So we know that they were already on their way out. They weren't doing anything wrong. They were just hanging out there. And if it wasn't for those 10 more minutes, I would have picked up my other son. I have text messages saying, Mom, come get me. I'm at this address. Like, they weren't doing anything. I don't understand why they were held without, like, okay, here, now it's time to go. Let him go. Why were they kept there for so many hours? My, I, I had to go and get him. His wrists were almost bleeding. So I am... And, and I don't know how they came up with the charges. Conspiracy? Like, my, my kid, we had just come back from a Giants game. And then they decided to go, where was the conspiracy? Like, <laughs> you know, initiating a riot. What, really, like, those charges are, I don't even, they're stupid, to say the least. Thank you. Uh, next speaker. Hi there. Um, I wasn't planning to speak this evening, but I figured my son was brave enough to get up here. He was Rocco, the 15-year-old that was wrongfully detained, wrongfully, what I presume is arrested by all, the, by all actions, being cuffed, fingerprinted, mugshotted, all of the, all of the above. So, you know, my, our story is very similar to a lot of the other parents experience that evening. It's not something I would wish on any parent. And it's not only affecting, you know, our child, it's affecting our whole family, you know? This, I don't think I've slept since Saturday night over worry. So it's, um, all of the charges are outrageous, totally unsubstantiated. You know, when, you know, you, you have children, you raise them, you, you try to protect them from criminals and the boogeyman and all these things, the last thing you want to think is that you have to warn them about the police now because they're supposed to be your safe haven. And now my son has already had negative experience 
practices with police officers, and this is just kind of put the nail in the coffin, so to speak, I guess, um, you know, for him to just feel like he has to accept it because that's the way it is. I don't think that's right, and I don't think anyone here should think that's okay either. Thank you. Next speaker. Uh, I wanted to quickly comment. I hope that the newly established reparations funds enter minority school rooms, but we'll see if it isn't spent on reparations administrators instead. A uh, bicyclist was killed in a skateboarding event a year ago from traumatic brain injuries after a skateboarder slammed into the cyclist. And I've read uh, that the police uh, recovered um, multiple firearms at the non-official skateboarding event this year, but as you've already heard, young people weren't permitted bathroom breaks and they had uh, to sit for hours on end in the cold. Of course, if this is the worst thing they've experienced in life so far, these kids are in for a rude surprise. It is no wonder, is it any wonder that the police force and the US military are now experiencing crisis in recruitment? Observers, recent uh, trends are now competing against female collegiate athletes. The very definition of punching down. And boys are now volunteering for chemical castration and transitioning to female before graduating high school. On another subject entirely, the ideological dogma but that you can't arrest your way out of poverty and that drug arrest kill people uh, depends on mob logic, which is the oxymoron in itself. You can't arrest the cycle of poverty by incarcerating repeat criminals. Criminals and their advocates that, uh, and related policymakers have been driving businesses out of business, making workers jobless, and indirectly turning residents out of their residence, emptying homes and commercial storefronts. The policymakers extending claims of having outlawed residential tenant evictions have extended a policy of economic rot into the countless households of faultless land. Next speaker. Uh, wait. Be careful. I am. I'd like to begin by saying that I am a resident of Mendelman's district. I was not planning on speaking. I could not let that, whatever that was, keep going. I have a degree in finance and have been living in the city of San Francisco for about six years now. There is plenty in terms of tax revenue and plenty that go the governor is capable of in terms of uh, waiving, say, things like the SF monetary, uh, uh, the SF Federal Reserve along with uh, Mayor uh, London Breed. And instead they pour all of our money and all of the potential infinite you know, buckets of money that were poured into the SDB bank um, bailout that could be used to provide safe hay bales and ambulances for students and people and kids so that they can be fed, so that they can be safe and not abused by the city. Fucking disgusting. I leave. Next speaker. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Nina Parks. I sit actually on the Justice for Equity and Transformation Council that is a part of San Francisco's Office for Racial Equity. Um, so it's, my, it's of my understanding this body focuses on policy in regards to policing. So 
just want to read to you part of the community policing general order, which is DGO 1.08, section 21 definitions. Community policing is a mindset through which officers build collaborative, transparent, and trusting relationships with communities that they serve through partnership and problem solving. It is built upon a philosophy that embodying a guardian mindset where officers feel like they are seen as part of the community rather than separate from it. It seems like there is an ongoing issue around many city departments around implementation of policy and effective implementation of policy as well as systems of accountability to implement this policy well. In this general order as, as well, there's been a lot of shifts over the past um, like, five, like seven to nine years since its creation where the accountability bodies don't actually include any real community organizations that are doing everyday work to keep community safe as well as like teachers and other, and other city departments that are overlap. It seems it's very insular to the, the police department. So there is a lack of a design in implementation of your guys' policies that is causing a huge issue in our community and we need that fixed. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Have you spoke? You spoke. Okay. Um, I wanna thank uh, all the speakers for coming out um, and we're glad to hear you. Are, are you the next speaker? Yes. Okay. You can, you can go first. No, you can continue. Turbulence is a trap. You can do a lot with resources if you know how to use them. You can do a lot more if you have them. You can do a lot more if somebody has already put them into effect before you come into the world. Anybody wants to take a screenshot of this? Here is your action item list. I'll send you guys the link. Before the cops showed up, this is what they did to the street. I drive this route to work every day. I teach skateboarding at James Lick Middle School. My students were at the event. I teach skateboarding at Cesar Chavez Elementary to four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, I have a 12-year-old. I have taught 200 people to skate in the last year. I'm a business owner in the city. I make skateboards that I teach with. I'm in the business that would succeed if you guys were a pro skateboarding city, alongside many of these other businesses. I make skateboards for transportation to lower carbon emissions. Skateboarding is a part of your justice policy. Everything you do for skateboarding in the city heretofore is anti-skateboarding. How much did this cost? Was there anything posted? This is not the cops. This is SFMTA, this is the streets. You guys have an active communities plan that is a bicycle plan. You can see the bicycle infrastructure in the back. This is the skateboarding infrastructure. You guys set out to do harm before the cops showed up and if the cops hadn't shown up, that's what was waiting for them at the bottom of the hill where it is legal for them to skate and they have equal protection under the law. You guys were going to hurt them. Before the cops showed up, you were gonna hurt them, both lanes. Up and down, nobody said this because they wanna make it about the cops, it's the whole city. I go to rides with the FSFMTA. I go to public works. I have been doing advocacy in the city for the last year. Skateboarders can't come in the building because skateboards are not allowed in the building. My skateboard is parked at the library. 
took me five minutes to get him from the mission. Took me 15 Thank minutes you. to get in the building. You are Thank disenfranchising you. the public because you are anti-skateboarding. Thank you. Is there any more public people comments? Skateboarding. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. that are here because uh, there's a lot of people who love Frisco kids. So shout out to everybody who's watching TV and listening to this and who's been on KPFA or been on KPU or talking on the radio about this issue. Um, I've been an advocate for young people since I was one. I've been speaking at City Hall since I was a teenager trying to advocate for justice for young people. And I see over and over again young people who have been negatively impacted by police presence. So I feel like now that all of these nonprofits and organizations have been trying to accommodate and come up with programs to help young people to feel a part of something, to go outside when it's scary to be inside, uh, to find places where they can belong and be a part of something. I'm part of a bike crew called Bicis del Pueblo. We mobilize young people, we give out bicycles, uh, we donate bikes to them and help them to find crews of people to mob around with. And there's so much value in that. I see that there's money in your budget that you have not spent, that SFPD has not spent. There's money that was allocated to work in the projects that has gone unspent. There's personnel programs that have not been spent. There's, uh, there's money that has not been used. But at the other side of that end, there's all of this extra money that's been spent on overtime. These community workers here who put in work for the kids, we don't get paid overtime. Every officer gets $113 for every hour that they're working overtime. So that was a ridiculous waste of over $200,000 or more, not counting the future lawsuits. And all that's coming out of the SF General Fund, that's our money, 80%. <laughs> of the money that SFPD has is out of the general fund. That is almost all our money. I want no money to go to any police association league. I want no money to be allocated to any SFPD officer to do any work with young people. That's our job, that's our work, and you're not qualified to do it, so you should not be allowed to do it. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Deposit some effort into some poor kids. Is there? You're not qualified. You're fired. Thank you. Uh, again, is there any other speaker? I. Thierry Filet. I'm going to keep my glasses. Some people keep their masks. By the way, you can't have critical thinking with a mask on. It doesn't work. Okay. Don't worry, guys. I'm going to address you. No matter how hard you try, it's not going to work. Okay? So you pay attention. I'm going to change the course here. Remember, just you guys, responsibility, critical thinking. That's going to work. Sim simply take your responsibility. The mission is happiness for everybody using beauty. The advantage of beauty is that you can't fake it. You can't fake it. You can't fake beauty. So that's going to be easy. Okay, fight this now. Because you are not happy. That's why you put ugliness. You understand the bullshit? Okay, ABC can't be here if it's not organized. Huh? ABC is not there. And it was... Huh? Okay, so fight me now. Okay, I'm going to be short. Remember, 
Quantity destroys quality. That's the rules of existence. It, it works like this. So you were too many here. It destroyed the quality of your message. Okay. I hope you pay attention. I hope you pay attention. You too. Thank you. No justice. No peace. No justice. No peace. No justice. No peace. No justice. No peace. No We got it. Hey, thank you everybody for coming and speaking today. Uh, we're gonna continue our meeting. Uh, we're gonna agendize this item to the next meeting. So just to let everybody know. So at this time, I'm gonna uh, ask if the chief want to say, uh, Chief William Scott want to say a few words. Please, please, please be respectful. They haven't been respectful to us. Okay. We sat through everybody's comment. Two minutes each. Okay. So, Chief Scott. Yeah. At this time, at this time, I'm gonna ask uh, or ask uh, Chief uh, William Scott to say a few words on regards to this matter. Thank, thank you, uh, Commissioner Gee. So this item has been agendized for next week. Um, definitely next week, I have a detailed report for the public and the commission, which includes body-worn camera footage, which there is a lot of. Uh, everything that I will present to you has been taken from the videos, the body-worn camera videos, the videos that we've seen uh, from members of the public. So definitely we understand the frustration, we understand the questions. And next, and next week. Please let them finish. And next week, so and next week we will release the videos and have a detailed account of everything that happened, including the timeline. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. Uh, we're gonna go to Commissioner Giannis. Thank you, Acting Commissioner Yi. Um, I appreciate everyone's time. I appreciate everyone's energy. I really value those young people that shared their stories. I feel that. I have worked with young people for 30 years. I'm almost traumatized by what I have experienced. There was a clear failure of de-escalation here. There was, there is a clear traumatization of a whole community of young people on the day that we're gonna talk about pre-booking, about creating a program to not criminalize young people, and I'm embarrassed for our city. I am embarrassed for the actions that this department took to criminalize 
an activity that an outlet for young people that that could have been contained, that could have been celebrated, that could have led to maybe an annual event as some people have recommended. And so I, I share your pain. It is, but one that could be supported as opposed to interfered with. And, and I hope that we do generate solutions from this. This wasn't agendized and it will be agendized next week, but it is clear to me that we need an internal affairs investigation. I demand that we have an internal affairs investigation into this incident. I encourage each and every one of you that experienced any level of disrespect during that day to file a DPA report and to make sure that you follow through to, so that we could hold those officers that did not adhere to the policy for how they interface with young people so that they are held accountable by this body. I just requested, I just requested an internal affairs investigation. That's the procedure that we will be embarking on. And that's the limitation that we have here. We do not do the investigation. DPA, the Department of Police Accountability, takes the reports. Internal Affairs Division does an investigation and then charges after the video cam or the body cam and all the investigations are concluded. They will bring those to us and we will hold the officers that did not adhere to juvenile DGO policy accountable for anything that they did to traumatize a child. So with that, so those are the questions. Those are the questions that I am sure the chief will address. I also, I also am asking chief that you provide us with details about the deployment, how many officers were requested, how much overtime was invested, and how many officers culminated in the event? Because and so with that, I, I do thank you. And I do expect to see this room full again next week when we delve further into this conversation. And I appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner uh, Benedicto. Thank you, Acting President Yee. Um, I want to echo and associate myself strongly with what uh, Commissioner Yanez just said. I want to express my deep gratitude to everyone who came out here today to share your stories, uh, in particular, the incredible educators that we had here speaking up on behalf of their students, and more importantly than that, the youth that came here to speak on their behalf. Um, this was, I, I, as a former educator myself, I, I can't even imagine what the educators with the youth have gone through and you're brave and courageous for speaking here tonight, as well as the members of the community. And I want to acknowledge the tremendous community organizations that have mobilized the Harvey Milk LGBTQ Democratic Club, the SF Latinx Democratic Club, the Do No Harm Coalition, um, as well as the Office of our Public Defender, Manoraju. Um, like I said, I, I echo what, what Commissioner Yanya said. Uh, we're going to have more discussion on this next week, and I look forward to seeing members of the community there and asking questions of the department then, uh, though 
the outcome of this event, what we had, is absolutely unacceptable, and to me is a failure of everything that we've, that of what we represent as a city and as a department we've worked for. Uh, it's often said that trust can take a lifetime to earn and a minute to be lost, and it's disappointing to me as someone who's worked closely to, I, I believe, see improvements and to see that um, take such a huge step backward was incredibly disheartening. Um, this event needs to be safe, but this is not how we make this event safer. We need to be doing so in collaboration with community. Um, someone said coordination, not coercion, in one of the news articles. Uh, so I, I would like to quote them. I think that's exactly what, what we need is, is coordination, not coercion. We need outreach. We need the whole of community because uh, this is not an event that can be made safer solely by deployment of law enforcement. It's not the way we're going to get to a safer event, and we need to have that collaboration. I also echo what Commissioner Yanya said about an investigation to see if any policies, specifically if there are any policy violations and discipline that'll go through the process, and also repeat what Commissioner Yanya said about the Department of Police Accountability. We have the Chief of Staff, our Department of Police Accountability. It is independent of the Police Department. It is empowered to investigate claims of misconduct, and it is, um, it is one of the, it is a model for how accountability investigations are done. So if you, uh, for the youth that are here, please reach out to the Department of Police Accountability because that's how we will incrementally make things better. And I again want to thank everyone for being here and um, looking forward to this being the first uh, of many conversations with the community. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner uh, Walker. Um, Yes, I, I'm not going to repeat what's already been said. I think that um, the results of all of this are upsetting to everybody, and we all hear you. I'm really also, I just want to echo and reiterate that I think that these events, when they're done with community input and done right, are the best thing for our city. So I agree with that. and. I would be happy to help in any way possible to make sure that safe events like this are permitted easy and that we can actually do these in a way that works because I think that that's really the goal. It's, never, it's not the goal of anyone to stop these. I, I really believe that. Uh, but we got to do it right. We got we to gotta, we gotta reach out. And I got it. So what my point is is that we got to do better from here on in on these, to make sure that they are planned safely, internally and externally. So thank you. Thank you all for coming, too. Okay. Uh, seeing no other, I'd like to move on to uh, item number three, consent calendar. Line item three, consent calendar, receive and file action. Police Commission report of disciplinary action, second quarter, 2023. SFPD's SB 1421 and SB16 monthly report and DPA's 1421 and SB16 monthly report. <clears throat> motion to receive and file. A uh, second. second. We got a motion and second. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you yes. vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. And Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. You have five yeses. Uh, let's uh, 
For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item three, the consent calendar, please approach the podium. Oh, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Seeing none, no. Uh, real quick, I guess. Uh, my only comment here is uh, per Supreme Court decision in Castle Rock v. Gonzalez, police forces do not have to protect the vast majority of people. That is not part of their job. They are not constitutionally expected right, to do so. Uh, I don't give a fuck, calendar? dude. Okay. We're not taking public comment other than consent calendar. And commissioners, there is no further public comment. Okay, that's on item number. Line item four, adoption of minutes, action, for the meetings of May 17th, June 7th, June 14th, and June 21st, 2023. Move to approve. Second. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item four, the adoption of minutes, please approach the podium. And commissioners, there is no public comment. All right, on the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. You have five yeses. Okay. I want to take a five minute recess here. Um, All right, we we'll are be, in recess. We'll be back Five at uh, 7, 7.44, I believe. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
Line item five, Chief's Report, Discussion, Weekly Crime Trends and Public Safety Concerns. Provide an overview of offenses, incidents, or events occurring in San Francisco having an impact on public safety. Commission discussion on unplanned events and activities the Chief describes will be limited to determining whether to calendar for a future meeting. Just for information, the Chief will not be discussing the, the um, Dolores Park event this evening for um, line item five. So public comment will not be taken on that incident for line item five. Chief Scott. Thank you, Sergeant Youngblood. All right, I will um, start with the crime trends update and just give an overview of the property crime and total violent crime, part one crime. 6% 6 reduction in total crime in the city this year, which is uh, just under 1,500 fewer crimes overall than this time last year. As far as violent crimes, there's a 2% increase. That's a difference of about 48 crimes uh, higher than last year. Property crimes is down 6%, which is a difference of 2,300, a little over 2,300 crimes from this time last year. A uh, couple of things of note, our firearms and our, our homicides. In terms of our homicides with firearms, 19 year-to-date this year, 18 this time last year, that's a 6% increase. Shooting victims, 12% increase from this time last year, 90 last year, 101 this year. And the total gun violence victims, 120 last year, 108, uh, 120 this year, 108 last year, 11% increase overall. Year-to-date, our homicides were up by two from this time last year, 28 compared to 26, which is an 8%. Um, 8% increase from this time last year. Uh, weapons seized this year have been 564 compared to 539, and that's an increase of 5%. The ghost guns, however, have decreased 13% uh, from this time last year. 
there have been 86 ghost guns that have been a part of those seizures compared to 99 this time last year. Two homicides to report for this reporting period. Uh, one was on the 800 block of Jamestown on July 4th at 10.30 p.m. Victim saw his son, confronted him as the son ran away. The victim followed, at which time the son shot and killed him. The victim was transported to the hospital but ended up succumbing to his injuries. Uh, that investigation is ongoing, some very good leads, but no arrest at this time. There was another death or homicide at 3rd and Egbert on July 3rd. The victim and her husband were walking in the area when an unknown person walked up and pushed the victim. The victim lost her balance, fell to the ground, and struck her head. The victim was transported to the hospital and later succumbed to her injuries. That investigation is ongoing as well. Um, some very good leads to identify the person who was responsible for pushing the victim and more to follow on that one as that investigation uh, comes to a resolution. There were two non-fatal shooting incidents this reporting period. One was on the 1800 block of uh, Sunnydale and Ingleside. This was on July 4th. The victim was sitting in the vehicle when an unknown subject opened fire, struck the victim. The victim was transported, stable condition, not, uh, no life-threatening injuries. Uh, no arrests at this time, and then Golden Gate and Leavenworth on July 8th at 5.08 a.m. Victim was located in the street from a gunshot wound. Uh, no suspects information at this time. Victim was listed with life-threatening injuries. No arrests have been made. As far as narcotics, on June 26th, search warrants were obtained for two subjects identified as being involved in the sale of narcotics in the Tenderloin District. On June 28th, the subjects were located near the intersection of O'Farrell and Pope. Probable cause was, deve was developed to arrest the subjects. They were placed into custody without incidents, and a search resulted in the seizure of um, 128.5 grams of fentanyl, 20.8 grams of cocaine salt, 29.4 grams of cocaine base, 35.3 grams of suspected meth, 36.7 grams of heroin, and 9.8 grams of suspected oxycodone pills. Later that day, the search warrants, or a search warrant, was, um, was conducted on one of the subject's residences in Oakland and located more narcotics, and, as well as a large amount of U.S. currency. Both of these folks were booked for multiple charges, including possession of methamphetamine, possession of a controlled substance for sale, possession of cocaine base, transportation of controlled substances, and transportation of meth, as well as conspiracy to distribute. A few other significant events. Uh, shots fired at Franklin and Broadway in the Northern District. This happened on July 5th at 6.47 p.m. Witnesses heard gunshots in two vehicles traveling near each other on Broadway. Both of the vehicles, uh, the occupants of both vehicles, dispatch or discharge their weapons at each other. One vehicle was located unoccupied at California and Octavia with casings inside, fired uh, shell casings inside. Damage was found to the uninvolved vehicle. The California Highway Patrol stopped one of the vehicles at 8th and Stevenson and confirmed that the driver matched the video of the driver leaving the vehicle at the scene of the shooting. So we are searching for that particular person, have not uh, found him yet. A few other things, just an update on uh, the Tenderloin. Just overall, this past week, officers seized 3,519 gross grams of fentanyl. To date, we have seized 
36 gross grams of fentanyl in, set in 27 weeks. That's about three times the amount of seizure from this time last year, which is an increase of uh, just under 200%. Total narcotics seized year to date, including all narcotics, is 110.5, 110,500 grams of narcotics compared to uh, last year, that's 169% increase. As far as um, our enforcement on drug dealers, there have been 463 arrests this year. Uh, that is almost double where we were this time last year. And uh, we ended the end of the year last year with 566 arrests. So with the focus in the tenderloin on narcotics dealing and narcotics enforcement, uh, that has resulted in a significant amount of increased arrests year to date. Uh, that is it for my report. And um, we will report on the Dolores Park incident next week. Thank you very much, Chief. Is there any questions? Um, Commissioner uh, Burns. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Acting President E. Um, uh, Chief, um, as regards uh, the Tenderloin, um, has there been any, any uh, update on um, uh, swing shift increase in swing shift presence in the Tenderloin? Uh, uh, yeah, the update that I have for you right now is we have adjusted the hours of the task force that's working in Tenderloin to work night hours. Um, there will be further adjustments during the sign-up, which happens in about a month and a half. And uh, due to our MO, MOU agreements, that is the best way to do it. So we will even increase that further. We've also added uh, fugitive recovery team to that equation, and they are assigned basically to the tenderloin as well. And they work. Uh, I'm at, sorry. What did you say, Chief? I'm sorry. We also have stood up a fugitive recovery team. A fugitive recovery team. I'm sorry. Yes. My age. Yes, Commissioner. And and their role is there. There are a lot of outstanding warrants right now. Uh, people in the tenderloin that we come in contact with. So they also will be working those evening hours and they, they're working four days a week. But in addition to that, we still will do more when the signups happen in about six weeks. The signup goes into effect in September, but officers will be signing up uh, early August. So some of, the, um, some of the increased presence now is in uh, those seven officers are now working swing shift? Yes. And, um, is there foot patrol still going on daily through the Tenderloin? Uh, it's a combination. The foot, the foot patrol officers, they do still uh, work some of the narcotics cases and narcotics enforcement. Um, we also have the visibility along Eddy uh, is definitely more consistent. The, the patrols yeah. along Eddy is more consistent. High Street, Golden Gate. But, but are they foot patrols, uh, Chief? They're not foot patrols all the time. The foot, the foot patrol officers also work some of the narcotics cases, and when they do work those cases, they're in plain clothes, but they do a combination of both. Yeah, because what, I, what I've noticed, and I noticed uh, about Eddie when I, when I drive around, um, is that there's plenty, uh, plenty of police presence in the sense that you see cars uh, patrolling, but you don't, at least I haven't witnessed any uh, foot patrols. And I was just, uh, uh, and I know, not in the evening time, but during the daytime when I've driven around, I haven't seen any of them. There, there is still a foot patrol unit that's still out there, and those officers, 
there's a group of officers that work pretty much full-time on foot, foot patrol. There's another group of officers that work foot patrol, but they also work some of our narcotics cases. So they're not there all the time in foot patrol, but occasionally. You just okay. don't see them. Okay, I missed them. Thank you. Commissioner uh, Giannis. Thank you, Commissioner Yee. Uh, Chief, with regards to the uh, TO enforcement efforts, um, is there a timeline for this effort um, to sunset, to end? Uh, do we have a definition of what success will look like for us to get into that phase? And how far are we from that stage? No time, no ending timeline right now. One of the um, measures is seeing a difference out there in the streets. I mean, there are a lot of folks out there, uh, particularly for the, from the sales end and the use end of this equation that are out there. And what the public, the people in the public, and I've met with a lot of, of people from the community, um, they don't really care about the statistics. I mean, I know I read them here every week. What they want to see is the difference in the streets. And although our arrests have increased tremendously, from, particularly from last year and, and the year before, um, it's still not having the impact with what we need on the streets in terms of less dealers out there, less groups of dealers out there. So that's one measure of effectiveness. And we can measure performance in terms of arrests all day long, but we need to see a difference on the street. On the other end of that, with the, with the youth side of that, um, two things is to have less people who are on the streets. You know, we have a lot of people, particularly with fentanyl, who are literally passed out on the streets. And we'd like to see less of that, but not just see less of that, actually get people off the streets to a better place. So some of that is treatment, some of that is gonna be incarceration until we can get treatment for them. Um, but really, that, that's, the, that's the ultimate measure of success on that end, is to get people to treatment um, and to get people off of the streets from, from what we see in m many parts of the Tenderloin and, and Soma right now. Is there a, um, I guess, stronger or formalized relationship with those treatment providers um, for the department to either refer to or, you know, transport people to these efforts or to these treatment beds? There is um, through public health, through DPH, and that's, you know, we're trying to broker that through DPH. Um, there is outreach going out on. As a matter of fact, I met with some of one of the providers today and it was a very good talk, but there's a lot more work to do in terms of what we can actually do together to make this situation better. Right. And, and I would like to use this opportunity just to um, revisit and, and uh, work towards agendizing a conversation about the LEAD program, which you uh, mentioned a few weeks ago. Um, I think it is a good opportunity for us to determine what the best way to triage would be, right? Our officers are not clinicians, they're not treatment specialists, but I think once we have these agreements in writing and the departments are coordinating, we will have a better impact. I do uh, acknowledge that um, there is a change uh, in, in the neighborhood in the TL. I, I go by there a lot. There's a, a visible change in the day, as Mr. Bird, as Commissioner Bird is always mentioning, the shift at night is always different, right? And obviously staffing will, will hopefully improve that. The one question or concern that I have about how do we contain then when, because I've started noticing some of the 
whether they're dealers or users from the Tenderloin are moving out towards like Japantown area and you're seeing use in areas that it, we weren't seeing before. Is there a containment strategy right now? Well, yes. Um, and again, the effectiveness piece of this will be to not push the problem to another community. And it, for instance, like Eddie and Van Ness has become an issue. Yeah. Um, and our officers will address that, but then, you know, if we're not addressing the actual human beings involved, they're going to go somewhere else and, and do the same thing. So part of this is really trying to get to a point where people are, are getting treatment because you know, some of the dealers are out there too, but a lot of the people that are that are addicted that are using is 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 very noticeable. Yeah. And so part of this is just we have to continue to, to try. You know, some of this will be we are making those arrests. Um, you know, they do have treatments treatment in with sheriffs in the jail health. They do have treatment there, but people aren't going to honestly be there long enough to you know to really do what needs to be done. So we just have to keep touching as a city, you know, for those of us that are in this public service world, we have to keep touching this issue. And um, displacement is an issue, and it's, it's, it's really tough to try to contain it because we're dealing with people with, you know, serious addiction, but we'll continue to try. Got it. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner uh, Benedicto. Thank you, uh, Acting President Yee. Um, Chief, I, I know we, uh, you just talked about metrics for success. I know the last time we spoke, uh, none of the Tenderloin arrests um, had accepted treatment yet. Is that still the case? That is still the case. Um, and the, I believe we're, we're well over 100 uh, people, but that is still the case. Is there, I, I know we've, we all agree that we would like to see more uh, or any of those individuals accept treatment, but wishing for that isn't a plan. Is there a plan to try to get to, to, uh, you know, a strategy in place to try to get more of those individuals to accept treatment? Yes. I mean, the plan in terms of the outreach is, is ongoing um, with our public health partners and, and the offers of some of, the, some of some of the people that we're coming in contact with are known to some of our treatment providers and all that. And hopefully those relationships may lead to better outcomes long term. You know, short, short term, it's particularly when, when some of the people that we actually engage with are actually under the influence when we engage with them. So that's probably factoring in. You know, I think sometimes when people uh, aren't under the influence, they, they think a little bit differently. And that probably factors in with what we're seeing with the refusal uh, at the time that they're detained or arrested. But there are some relationships that exist where people get to revisit people after they are released. So we're hoping that that can pay some dividends. You know, that's not the police department doing that, but um, you have to have these long-term relationships, I think, to really get at this issue. Do you know if any of the individuals accepted treatment after, after release through any communications with public health partners? That I don't. I'll, I'll see if I can get an answer to that, but I, I don't at this point. Thank you, Chief. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Walker. Um, yeah, thank you, Chief, for this. Um, I have noticed a lot of uh, difference in the tenderloin, um, and especially in talking to folks. Um, so I really appreciate the out, the outreach there. Um, I do really also appreciate the coordinating with other departments. I know we have um, a friend from 
the Department of Health here who's interested in, you know, those kind of the 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 issues that really can be better dealt with by the Department of Health and our, our uh, partners out in the community. Um, but it's also, I mean, I think all of us, I've said this before when we've done ride-alongs, the, the time spent having to wait for that, um, the hot team or the cart team to come and, and actually transport somebody who is interested in, in doing something different with their lives um, is an issue. So. Um, I feel like the conversations with other departments and our partners, our nonprofit partners, is going to be really important to help create the alternative infrastructure, if I may, because it, you know, it's probably best not to have the police transporting and having another way of getting people to help. So, um, I, I really, I mean, it's it's vitally important because right now the police are the only ones out there doing it and. You know, I, I think it's really hard to expect people to be willing to go into treatment when it's the police talking to them. It's a very different communication system that would happen with a health officer or, you know, someone who's a, a peer from the community groups. And uh, But we do need, I mean, and, and this is going to get into our agenda item about um, juvenile diversion programs that... Um, it's vitally important that we have an infrastructure of case management that follows up to make sure it's the people are getting the treatment they need um, as an alternative because I don't think there's a lot a lot of us in agreement here that that incarceration isn't the answer um, even even with some folks who have a history um, that that might say that I mean if it's around addiction there's an understanding of a different path so um, I know the city is really trying to help create that, and I want to reiterate full support and anything I can do to help. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Yeah. Uh, Chief, um, just want to thank you and your team for, um, I guess, uh, working on the Tenderloin uh, District. I, I, as you heard from uh, uh, the commissioners, uh, it's, it's gotten better, and I want to thank... Um, the captain over there, I think his name is Sergio Chen for all his hard work. Uh, seeing that also the, <clears throat> just wondering if the, the amount of overdose has it declined since there's been more um, fentanyl moved off the streets. I'm just curious on that. Maybe next time you can report back on it. You know, is, is a, whether we're taking the drugs off the streets, does it drop the amount of o overdose that we're having? Um, for me, myself, uh, the week that I wasn't here, I was in New York visiting my daughter. And what I wanted to go visit was called Place On Point in New York City. It's called a safe injection site. Um, but the, the person in charge, it was busy, so I did not want to bother him. Uh, I see New York as, as a way of probably something we can, the city that, I think we tried in 2018. I know the federal government is against it. It's against the law to do safe in injection. So I don't know if the city can do it, but it ha probably has to come out of a nonprofit. Um, they have taken, you know, I guess, uh, reduce um, or save 900-something uh, people in a year's time. That's 900 people that say their life is, you know, they're still with us. Um, so I was just wondering, maybe we can take a look at that and see if we can work with some 
partnership and nonprofits, see if we can move this out to, I guess, to the, to the community that is most needed, and that's probably in the Tenderloin. Uh, also, I just want to talk about the amount of gun violence in the Bayview. I see it's, um, it's, it's a rise in the homicide, and actually, uh, you also have it in the Tenderloin. Um, so just wondering on the amount of ghost guns or guns that has been seized uh, year to date, if you have it. It is uh, lower than it was this time last year, and the number is 86, I believe, year to date, and 99 last year, but let me just verify that so, uh, very quickly. <coughs> Yes, 86 this year, 99 this time last year. And just for, for the Bayview Commissioner, the gun violence is actually down year to date, and I wanna make sure I'm looking at this correctly. It's down uh, in the Bayview pretty significantly. You got 32 shootings in the Bayview this time last year compared to 24 this year. Tenderloin is down a little bit, 16 this time last year, 14 this year, so. Uh, I know the gun violence probably been down, but it seems like the homicide rate is up. I'm just looking at comparables. Yes, um, the homicide rate is up it, uh, by three. You're absolutely right, and tenderloin by three as well. Okay, um, that's all I have. Let's go to public comment. For members of the public who would like to make public comment regarding line item five, the chief's report, please approach the podium. for success cannot be the metric by which it is getting measured. So by saying that the arrests as a, as a way to see that things have improved or even that there are less people on the streets as an indicator is things have been being improved is false. And the amount of people that are gonna keep uh, getting integrated into these organizational programs where they're forced to deal drugs to survive in America because that's what it's happening and will keep happening through our legal ports of entry where most of the fentanyl and the dealers come through because it is facilitated by arms of the state anyway. There will not be a decrease in the kind of violence that, in, that you want because these people are not getting the food, the housing, and the stability that they need first. Next speaker. Yes, I'd like to um, just express how disgusting it is that there's no report on the Dolores uh, incident, disrespect, child abuse tonight. And I personally feel it's to collude on reports later and not misspeak because of lawsuits. And then as far as the report on arrest and the effect it has on overdoses and cleaning up the tenderloin so it looks better to you people who drive through and think it feels nicer for you and more comfortable for you. I think you need to let the DA know that 
the rest of people that use is not working because according to CBS News, fentanyl overdose is at the highest point this far. So just because you don't see someone shooting it in their arm during your nice, lovely day doesn't mean it's not happening. And also, um, I like the point that police being the ones to push folks to get help is moronic. <laughs> and um, I just wanted to also say that I don't have faith in this body in doing any resolve to what's happening in the city. I don't have faith with the SFPD. I reached out to Chief Scott. I wanted to meet with you about reparations and how we can push reform, but I never called because I don't see a solution. The reparations committee didn't see a solution on what we could do, and hopefully this body could think about reparations because it's the only way we can repair people's harm Next speaker. Uh, this is my first uh, visit to a police commission meeting. So this is, uh, forgive me if I'm speaking out of ignorance, but I heard the police chief's uh, report um, gave statistics on arrests um, compared to last year and certain amounts of narcotics seized, which I think biases it towards uh, seeing these as measures of success. But I am, my question, if you're allowed to answer a question in public comment, is uh, does, does the report ever include, um, you know, comparing the number of arrests to, comparing to the number of contacts with police that don't result in arrest? Uh, and also, does it compare the number of arrests to um, actually convictions of uh, people for selling drugs? Um, I think that's an important piece of data to compare to because I think it's important to reduce numbers of contacts with police across the board for any reason. And if they're you know, having more arrests and more convictions, but only because they've increased contacts by any amount of percent, then that's a bad thing uh, because data shows that increased contacts with police result in more violence and more trauma for members of the community. So is that data that is ever presented to the commission or do we only get uh, numbers of arrests? That, that I'm done commenting, if you can answer that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Any other speaker? Uh, you miss a lot when you're sitting in a car. It's also expensive to have a car and sit in it and miss things. Um, I was almost run over by police the other night. I was wearing a high-vis shirt and a high-vis helmet and the cops almost ran me over. I was in the bike lane. You miss a lot when you're sitting in a car. Um, when I skate through the mission, I see cops and cars on their phones parked on the sidewalk with their <laughs> lights on. And I'd stop by and I'd knock on the window and they say, can we help you? I said, yeah, what are you doing here? And they said, this increases public safety. That's expensive. It's expensive to sit in a car and miss a lot of what's going on. And then I know I'm at my angriest when I'm in a car. I'm at my happiest when I'm skateboarding around the city. So I get stuck in traffic and then I get mad. 
and I don't have road rage, but I know that you guys don't have laws that apply to you when you get road rage. So you can do whatever you want to sit in the car and miss a lot or hit things. You know, 39,000 people die every year getting run over by cars. So I think maybe you guys should come out in the streets with us if you really want to hang out and get to know us instead of speeding by and being the fastest thing that's coming into somebody's life and expecting to make a difference. They've got no relationship with you. They have no reason to trust you because you're sitting in your car, missing everything, sitting on your phones. So get out and go for a walk. Might lower your heart rate. It might make it easier for y'all when you actually get in touch with us or just stay home and quit. Seeing no other uh, public speaker, uh, let's go to uh, I, next item. Line item six, DPA director's report, discussion. Report on recent DPA activities and announcements. Commission discussion will be limited to determine whether to counter any of the issues raised for a future commission meeting. Chief of Staff uh, Hawkins. Good evening, commissioners. Good evening, Chief Scott, members of the public. Um, the main highlights or the main trends from DPA that I want to highlight is the increased caseload that we have currently. So at this time last year, we had opened 354 cases. This year, it's 390, so that's 36 more cases. We also have 57 more cases pending now than we did at this time last year. I think it's relevant to bring that up now in light of the fact that we do have an open complaint for the hill bombing incident, which will, as this board can understand from what happened tonight, be a really complicated case for us to investigate thoroughly from all angles. So there's a resource issue that I know the whole city is filling, so I'm not saying anything people don't expect a city agency to say, but we are having um, resource issues in terms of our investigative capacity. Obviously, we will fulfill our charter mandates and we will investigate everything thoroughly, but we're at a point where I'm getting concerned about our investigator caseloads and kind of the, the resourcing of complicated cases such as this. Um, I am proud to report that of our cases past the 270-day marker, we only have 19, which is less than we had this time last year and shows that despite our resource concerns, we are still keeping up with our statutory mandates and trying to deliver even above and beyond those mandates. Um, currently, cases pending with the police commission are six and with the police chief at the chief's hearing or, or um, appeal level, there are 84. Um, in terms of trends, uh, we received 39 new cases in the past three weeks, and the highest amount of those cases was an allegation that officers behave or spoke inappropriately. We also received complaints that officers drove inappropriately or failed to take required action. Um, in terms of our audit, last week we sent the draft of our full misconduct audit to the controller's office for an independent review of the report's finding and evidence. As soon as it's cleared the controller's office, we will submit it to SFPD for their response. This will be the full audit. You've heard the small interim reports, and this will be the conclusion of that plus one new section. Um, I already mentioned that Senior Investigator Steve Ball is here to help with any concerns that arise this evening, and we have comments for other agenda items that I will save for when that is appropriate. Is that in your in the report? And that concludes my report. Okay. Public comic? I just have one question. Okay. Um, 
Commissioner Yanis. Is, is the staffing issue because of vacancies and the recruitment challenges that the city is experiencing, or is it just you guys are fully staffed and there are so many matters that you're dealing with? That is a good question. So we have lost four investigators over the past six months, and because of budget concerns, we may or may not be able to backfill those positions. Um, so we are still within the charter mandated, I believe, we're still within the charter mandated amount of investigator ratio. So the charter mandates that we have one investigator per 150 officers. Right. I think we're like right at that bare minimum. Um, and so we are working with the mayor's budget office to see what is possible within the constraints of the budget that was just passed. Got it. Thank you. Okay. Uh, public comments? Members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item six, the DPA director's report, please approach the podium. Thank you. Um, appreciate you taking the time to speak with me during the break um, from session. Just want to report on what I understand. I understand that the Dolores Hill bomb will be held till later. I understand that your organization will be responsible for the investigation, that that is an internal investigation and does not involve um, community stakeholders. I understand that uh, at the same time, there is a group that will be making policy recommendations after the, um, and that that is not reliant, that the policy-making session does not wait until the end of the investigation. The investigation will take as long as it takes to get to the bottom of this. It is not at the end of the investigation that the policy conversation can start. That can start right now. I talked to Steve Bell, and he told me that Janelle Kaywood is the person at the organization who will be working on policy. So knowing full well that it is very hard to get in this building if you come with a skateboard, I urge all of my skateboarding friends and all of those skateboard-adjacent community members to get involved if you want to be involved in policy as regards um, the police department's involvement with skateboarders and whatnot. The policy discussion does not have to wait until the investigation is over and we can get involved as a community right now to participate. My understanding is that we are invited. I've given them my phone number. I expect to receive a call. I will be out of town next week, but I will follow up if I do not receive a call. Thank you. Next speaker. Yes, I would like to ask that Department of Police Accountability um, make it much more clear of how the youth that were harmed by the department can contact via phone number, email, address of offices, any way that people who aren't used to this process, which is a very difficult process to file a complaint with your department, and also that there be a special uh, protocol because it's so many youth involved. And what I remember is a lot of times the youth, the person who was affected has to write their report in their own words. And that's not always easy to do so that there be some very youth friendly staff that assists these young people, and we should be seeing a high number on your report next week on unlawful arrest or searches. I yield the rest of my time. Thank you. There's no other speaker. Um, let's continue on to item number seven, commission's report. 
Line item seven, commission reports, discussion, and possible action. Commission reports will be limited to a brief description of activities and announcements. Commission discussion will be limited to determine whether to counter any of the issues raised for a future commission meeting. Commission president's report, commissioner's reports, commission announcements, and schedule of items identified for consideration at a future commission meeting. Uh, Commissioner Kevin Benotecto. Thank you, Acting President Yee. Um, not, uh, it's a couple things in my report. Uh, tomorrow, the uh, working group for DGO 10.11 body-worn cameras will be having its uh, final meeting. I think there are real improvements to that policy. It's been a very collaborative working group, and I want to thank um, the members of the department staff who have helped uh, facilitate that process um, in particular, um, Aja Steve, who's been the manager of special projects and our subject matter expert, um, Lieutenant Beauchamp, as well. Um, additionally, it's been a while since we've met. Uh, we, um, Commissioner Walker and I, marched with the Joint Public Safety Contingent at the Pride Parade, and there was a, a great turnout for that parade as well. Um, another update, I know the commission reported a number of um, months ago now that we reopened uh, the job posting for our principal policy analyst position. We've now received uh, applicants for that and closed that posting. And Vice President Card Oberstone, Commissioner Walker, and myself um, will be um, interviewing candidates soon. So hopefully we'll be able to have a policy analyst, a position that's been vacant for some time. And that concludes my report. Uh, Commissioner Giannis. Thank you, Acting President Yee. Um, quick social media, um, investigative social media update. Uh, I want to thank Janelle Haywood, who's been doing the heavy lifting on this. Um, she's taking the lead on meeting with a lot of the uh, experts from the ACLU. I believe that there was a contact also uh, with uh, Berkeley University. Um, I've met with the Public Defender's Office and the uh, Center for Criminal Justice, uh, CJCJ, and I'll just brief it. Uh, so we are making progress. Thank you for posting it. I think the, um, the, the draft DGO was posted on the 1st, so we still have the remainder of this month for people to give feedback. So please, if folks have uh, comments on this, please submit them to the commission website. Um, <laughs> Pre-booking, I know we will have a presentation on pre-booking, but I have had conversations with the Community Assessment and Referral Center. I know that there is progress in, in this process. And uh, I was asked to speak at the Latino Task Force recently to speak about the pre-booking diversion um, program that we will hopefully uh, launch pretty soon. So those are my reports. Thank you very much. Uh, for my report, just. Uh, just to say that uh, last month I was in New York, so uh, try to get to see uh, on point uh, in New York, the safe in, uh, injection site. Uh, took a look at some of their, um, I guess some of their uh, releases on there in the videos. Um, uh, they're doing great work out there, providing, um, I think the safe needle exchange on top of that, providing services. And, and a whole list of other items that uh, they're doing for the community. Um, it's a nonprofit. It's not run by the city, but they're in partnership with them to keep um, uh, the people safe and you know have a place for uh, if they do do injection that is uh, 
uh, they have a you know somebody looking out for them so hopefully the, maybe the city can uh, take a look in that direction uh, there's two in New York I went by the on point on uh, 125 in uh, in Harlem so uh, maybe when I'm back in New York again I'll make arrangement to meet with the director Sam uh, Walton I believe is somebody to say so um, that ends my report. Uh, let's move. Uh, Was it public comment? So, members of the public would like to make public comment regarding line item seven. Please approach the podium. All right. Seeing none, let's go on to item uh, line item eight. Line item eight: presentation and discussion regarding the update on the juvenile diversion program at the request of the commission. Discussion. Good evening. Good evening, uh, Acting President Yee, Commissioners, Acting Director Sarah Hawkins, and Chief Scott. My name is Kara Lacey, and I am here to give you all an update on the work that the department has done um, on our efforts to move towards a pre-arrest diversion program for you. So SFPD members um, actively engage with our community and particularly spend a lot of time proactively working with youth throughout the year, particularly through our community engagement division. We um, are proud of a lot of different programs that we participate in. Some of those programs include Operation Genesis. Um, we have summer programs for youth. We uh, take youth up to Camp Mather. We have a wilderness program. We do tons of giveaways, um, all in an effort to work with our community partners, including CARC, uh, to proactively and positively engage with youth. One of the things that we are working on um, and have continued to actively work on since our last um, commission meeting on this topic is moving from a post-arrest or post-citation diversion model, which we currently have, um, to a pre-arrest diversion model. And the goal of that is to reduce um, the or decrease the chance that youth will enter into the juvenile justice system. Um, some of the goals include uh, decreasing transportation of youth to CARC, uh, decreasing handcuffing, decreasing really that custodial nature of the interaction and really moving towards a model where on scene we're able to contact parents, talk about the diversion program, um, get the youth to agree to participate in that program, let them go and then later on they'll um, uh, attend CARC and, and figure out what their plan will be. So that's the goal. And um, what coincides with our work uh, towards moving towards that uh, pre-arrest diversion model is that DGO 7.01 is currently being revised and we are near the end of that revision process. The next step will be public comment and I hope that that will happen um, soon. So some of the work that we've done since the commission last met on this topic. Internally, we've formed sort of an internal working group where we have both sworn and uh, professional staff working to figure out how to truly operationalize this type of program for the department. 
And so we've had a number of internal and external meetings in an effort to gain more information from some of the other counties that engage in these types of programs. Um, we've reached out and, and spoken to LAPD and their programs, um, and then also Oakland and their program, both of which you heard from here at the commission. What we've also done is continue to work with our justice partners um, in trying to figure out just what this program will look like. And so we've continued to meet with the district attorney's office. We had a very, very productive meeting with CARC just this week. We plan on going back to CARC next week to continue to understand sort of the process and the programs that are in place right now. Um, it is a restorative justice model that is in place right now, um, but you know we're trying to have a better sense of um, just the work that's being done, some of their data, the successes that they see as we try to build out um, what this program will look like. Uh, as part of building this out, uh, we will have a liaison within the department who will be assigned to uh, work with our justice partners. Um, we ident have identified who that person will be and, and that person um, will work out of our community engagement division. So we're happy to um, be able to report on that. And we have also continued to work on revising and making edits to a draft MOU um, that we hope to be able to soon pass to um, our justice partners for review. And lastly, just to follow up on some of the next steps that we uh, will continue to do. So we have uh, collaborative meetings with all of the justice partners and individuals that will be a part of this program, and that's led by the mayor's office. So the mayor's office, CARC, um, the DA's office, JPD, and the public defender's office were in communication with regards to building this program out. Uh, that collaboration will continue. We also um, are in the process of trying to figure out what accountability looks like for individuals that might choose not to or be unable to engage in the program, um, what that follow through will look like, um, and what role, if any, right, the police department will play in that accountability. Um, we are, as part of that, continuing to have conversations with the district attorney's office also about sort of their role um, and how we can all come to the table on that. We also, like I said, need to finish the MOU and then it will, review, it will require both internal and external um, review of that. And then lastly, um, we have actively continued to work on some of the documents that will be um, associated with this program. Just the last thing that we're waiting on, um, we have made some requests for data from some of our justice partners um, and we're waiting on some more information so we have a better sense of how we're gonna have to operationalize this program internally um, and we're waiting on some of that. So that's my quick update. I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have. Uh, Commissioner Walker. Thank you for this presentation. Um, I know that we um, supported the concept of this unanimously. I think that um, the numbers on that we've seen, you know, on the success of diverting pre-booking are positive, and it's it's something that we're really interested in. Um, looking at this, I I. It would be great to get details from the other, the Oakland and the Los Angeles programs to see how they're working so we can look at that. Um, that would be really helpful. There's, there's also the issue of 
making sure that we have enough case management um, to accommodate this, because that's I, it's it's going to require a lot of case management as opposed to the authority of putting people in jail. It's you know it's a it's a different approach, um, and it it may well have the threat of authority, but. Um, it's going to be really important that we have enough follow-up case management. I think that we have a lot of really good ideas and programs in our city, and sometimes it's the case management and following it up on it and having enough personnel. And I know everybody's really hurting to hire people. So um, I just, I, I think, it, I, would, I would assume CARC is those partners. They have more of the the nonprofit and case management not, uh, organizations as part of that group? That's correct. Yeah. And when we met with them, they actually raised um, the, the need that they'll likely have to hire more case yeah. managers and that funding, they'll have to find funding in order to do that. So it's something that we are talking about now um, okay. and aware of now, and hopefully um, quickly we can find that funding to be able to um, not only implement this program, but make it sustainable. Yeah. Um, so we can continue to offer services and, and infrastructure, including logistics, because it's got it's likely to be a different. I mean, it, when you do pre pre booking, it's like this the 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 authority doesn't have its hand in the thing yet uh, intentionally. I mean, I I will I keep bringing up the issue the programs that we had at the Department of Building Inspection where nonprofits would go out and try and solve problems before there was an official write up uh, which starts the clock and creates the connection into our system so to speak um, if there's a way of solving these kind of issues beforehand um, but it really does require intense data management and case management oversight that sometimes isn't there so um, having a description <laughs> of what that looks like, e even if it isn't us, mm -hmm. um, I think that's going to be important. And one of the things, too, I want to just put on the record here is that this pre-arrest diversion program is also something that we are looking at around addiction and mental health. So how, as we look at this, hopefully we can include that. Um, it's it's really important that we have an alternative response that isn't incarceration and police, but that is as effective as getting people inserted into assistance and help. So um, hopefully we can just, everybody involved can start thinking about that too. I agree. Uh, Commissioner Giannis. Thank you, Acting President Yee. Um, and I do want to echo Commissioner Walker's statement there that um, treatment and care management and wraparound support is, is essential to um, really address the needs of young people that are going to be eligible for these programs. My understanding of the program is going to be, uh, you know, for first contact offenders so that we try to divert them from the, the formal involvement with the system, which is um, at least from the data that Los Angeles has presented um, has been really impactful in both 
reducing recidivism and keeping young people out of the system altogether. So I know that the chief is invested in this. Um, the chief actually did make a connection with Sentinella, who sent us over that MOU, which is basically the blueprint. I know we have to modify some things in San Francisco because we've had the Community Assessment Referral Center for 20, 30 years. Um, but I'm glad that there's movement in the right direction. One of the questions I have, though, for you, Kara, is uh, I believe I heard you say that we're moving from a post-arrest to a pre-arrest model. Would you clarify that? Because my understanding is that we're expanding our existing diversion model in San Francisco, which includes the probation department and the district attorney's office, and that the department, the way LA does it, is creating an MOU with a community partner to do pre-booking not necessarily, you know, uh, enmesh the programs. Uh, would you clarify that that is the direction that we're going? Because the statement that you made doesn't seem like they are two separate uh, programs. So currently, um, all misdemeanor cases in San Francisco are diverted. Um, they're diverted though after that citation right, right is issued. I think the goal is to take all of those cases right and move them towards a pre-arrest diversion model. So once it's fully built out, all misdemeanor cases will be go through the funnel of the pre-arrest diversion, if that makes sense. And does that then mean that the current model gives young people three opportunities to mm -hmm. comply and complete their program. Once the charges have been filed um, and the booking has been made and they're sent to CARC, right? Um, my understanding of the way LA does it is the pre-booking program gives them three opportunities, same as here. If they were to not complete their program, then they get referred to the normal CARC program, which then gives them additional opportunities because then there's the weight of the probation officer involved in that process. It, are we saying the same thing? Yeah, so the LA model is that um, youth are given on three separate charges, so three separate what would be arrests, they can go through the, the pre-arrest diversion program um, where there would still be potentially um, I guess the traditional model of diversion or maybe an informal diversion through the probation department is where we talk about the potential back-end accountability if somebody fails during it. Yes, so in that sense, those options, that is what we're trying to work out right now, sort of what that continuum would look like if a youth you know, decides to disengage with the program or they don't wanna participate in, in diversion or whatever it is, right? Um, they don't show up like that. Um, we are still working on on what that will look like, um, which may include an informal diversion. It may include potentially, you know, um, seeking charges, you know, or you know, citing a youth. All options are sort of on the table. That is what we're still trying to figure out and discuss. And part of that is trying to understand what happens right now. Um, so right now, what happens? Um, we're trying to get more clarity about the process that CARC and JPD go through right now when when any of those scenarios happen. And, and currently, the police department does not have an MOU with a community-based organization to do this type of programming, correct? Correct, because currently we cite 
and then provide those citations to JPD, and, and it's, JPD has those MOUs with CARC um, for the, this type of programming. But because it will be now our program, that's why we need to be a part of and of an are MOU. we trying to build, create two MOUs, or are we embedding our existing uh, diversion collaboration and, and introducing the pre-booking into that same agreement? I think that is something that we haven't quite worked out, right? How many like people will sign on to the MOU? Um, that is, that is a current discussion. I believe the MOU that currently exists between JPD and um, Huckleberry House or CARC might include things that go beyond just the diversion, so they might want to either rewrite an MOU or keep that. That hasn't quite been discussed. What we're still trying to figure out um, is sort of what exactly that model will look at like. Um, certainly it will be at least the police department and CARC um, or Huckleberry House that sign on, but um, there definitely is a chance that other we'll ask other of our partners to sign on to it as well. And my understanding, just for the sake of clarity, is the department, based on what this body also decides or encourages or requires, can contract with the community partner to create a pre-booking program without having the district attorney's office or the probation department involved in that process. I, I there, mean, yeah. Uh, the so, city attorney, I think, may be able to chime yeah, in on this. There, yeah. Chief, um, Chief Scott? We would have to look at that. I can't answer that right now, but it depends on what that model may look like and who is affected by it. So it's too early to say and give advice on that. Please. Chief? Basically what Alicia okay. said, but I will, I will say this, you know, the, the goal is to really create the program that works for this city and it may end up looking a little bit differently than what the, the templates that we have from Los Angeles look like, but I, I couldn't say it any better than Alicia and Kara, you know, I, I think everything is on the table and nothing is, we're not locked in anything. Come. I think that's. I think that's what you're asking. Right. Okay. And, and I'm really happy to hear that we are moving past the stage of uh, conceptualization mm -hmm. into almost really design, right? Because it, it took a while to get here, and I'm really glad that we are at this point. Um, along the same line, do we have a timeline for the draft of the uh, 701 DGO, which was recently completed? And I know there was an extension requested, but I'm not sure that there was a timeline or a time frame for it. Yeah, I, I can answer that one. The next step is to post it for public feedback and input, and then we'll take that back to the group, see what, and the, the commissioner assigned you, I believe, and see what, if any I'm of the- I'm co-lead. Uh, Benedict is <laughs> the lead here. Between the two, two of you uh, commissioners, see what, if anything, will be in, in included in the policy from the public feedback, and then there's a, another concurrence, and then it goes to the commission. Right. Are we pretty close to posting? Yes. Can we get a date? Uh, we were trying to get a date today, but I don't think we have it, so. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask again next week. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Um, last question, treatment. I know that um, one of the one of the recommendations from Jessica Santanella, the executive director, 
um, was that because this is a first contact effort, you know, oftentimes we assume that, oh, it's the first time this young person has come into contact with the system. They're probably just going to need, you know, a little bit of coaching and counseling, right? But oftentimes what happens is this is just the tip of the iceberg and some of these young people will need wraparound treatment support. Um, are those conversations happening uh, with the probation department, because I know that there are resources embedded in the probation department system that utilize assessment and treat and offer treatment. Um, is this something that we are embedding and incorporating into this current program? Yes, and we have had conversations with CARC about um, the current programs that are out there and, and potential gaps that, that have been identified in areas that um, we as a city need to um, see if there are programs out there um, that will be able to fill some of those gaps um, that we know exist. And so that is something we're actively talking about right now. Great. And, and I am also in contact with the Juvenile Probation Department's commission staff. Um, on, on identifying additional resources if and when we get to that point where we need to either, you know, pilot with some startup funds or, um, so there will be that, that additional support um, to be able to fill these treatment needs because I know that treatment is uh, an essential element of this program. Um, I think those are my questions. Thank you very much for the presentation. Okay. Any other commissioners? Um, we'll go to public comment. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item eight, please approach the podium. Hi there. <clears throat> Hi there. So math. Um, at the school that I teach, there are 200 kids in the after school program. Just round numbers here. The basic distribution of wealth in that school of 400 students is 72% are low income and 4% are homeless. Of the 200 people that I have taught to skateboard in the last year, we can assume then that 144 are low income and eight of them are homeless. Billion dollar police budget. This all sounds like reactive, responsive work. I'm looking for the preventative medicine here. You could take $500, put it into a bank account for every of the 55,000 students in the school district every month and ameliorate problems in their home life by paying people to raise children in this city. $500 a month, you could pay these 55,000 public school students every month for 12 months, and you could do it three times over with the police budget, which means you could do it and still have two-thirds left over to invest in other things, not cop cars to sit in and look on your phone, not riot gear to come up and stop the event that happens every year, but other preventative things, like other groups other than the cops. Defund is a great idea. Invest in the children before they're in trouble. This is not far, this is a matter of intention. And might I recommend that the commission recommend that they give away some of their money or that they give it back and find somebody else who can do something better with it. Um, I'm going to uh, go back to uh, line item seven regarding uh, uh, commission report. Uh, I've reported on on point uh, executive director. His name is Sam Rivera. I apologize to him for, I guess I might have put another name behind him. So 
uh, just want to cor do a correction. Uh, let's go on to uh, line item number nine. <clears throat> line item nine, in presentation of the Disciplinary Review Board findings and recommendations, fourth quarter 2022 discussion. like I'm back in trial. <laughs> <laughs> Want to go to another item while we wait for... Or we can move forward with the presentation if you guys are comfortable without seeing the PowerPoint. That's what we Sarah have this and slide I. too. Great. Perfect. I'm fine then with I think that. we can move forward. It's this one, right? Yes. Good evening, Acting President Yee, Chief William Scott, and of course, Sarah Hawkins. Uh, Sarah and I tonight will be presenting the Disciplinary Review Board fourth quarter 2022. The, the board convened on March 30th of this year. We'll be talking about some trends as well as recommendations that we saw. Um, as it relates to policy failures and training failures as well. Aggregate trends identified by IAD were theft of a member's department-issued firearm, failure to thoroughly investigate, 
failure to appear for a DPA interview and failure to submit a member's response form to DPA. All right, so on the DPA side, the trends that we identified were failure to receive a private person's arrest, failure to activate body-worn camera, detaining a person without reasonable suspicion, and failure to properly supervise. Let me just take this packet apart for Ms. Hawkins, and that way it will be easier for us. Um, in the fourth quarter, we had one policy failure um, identified by IAD. We had an investigator who uh, took custody of a cell phone, which they were later gonna dump with a search warrant. Um, and during the course of trying to maintain the chain of custody, the investigator took the cell phone home. The board recognized that as a policy failure. So that would require, and you'll see it later on in the recommendation, an update of 6.15, which is property processing. In the fourth quarter, DPA had one policy failure finding, um, and the issue was that an individual was brought to a district station for booking and placed in a holding cell. They were kept in the holding cell for approximately 21 hours. Um, and the, yeah, I'll collect, okay. Mm -hmm. So the person was kept in the holding cell for approximately 21 hours, and that prolonged amount of time was due to sheriff's department policy about accepting that person. Um, so the recommendation is to update um, the unit order in terms of what to do in that particular situation. And in the fourth quarter, IAD identified one training failure. We had a complainant respond to a district station. That complainant was deaf and was in need of assistance of ASL and ADA accommodations. The telecommunications device was not hooked up at that station, and as a result, we were not able to provide the services that we would normally do. The recommendation um, under that is that each station has a language, excuse me, language access liaison officer. So recommendations for that was uh, training was to happen um, for the language access officer, that all equipment would be audited at each station to make sure it was operationally and connected appropriately. And then finally, to review and update the department general order as it relates to language access. DPA had one training failure case, um, which involved uh, whether or not someone could be pat searched after having a mental health episode. Um, and so there is, I don't wanna say always, there, we have identified in different situations Fourth Amendment training needs and clarity around kind of very specific Fourth Amendment situations, and this is an area where we feel there, sh there needs to be kind of more granular clarification and training. So seven recommendations came out of the Disciplinary Review Board for the fourth quarter. The first one was to update DGO 6.15, which is property processing, to include language that prohibits an investigator from taking evidence home. The second recommendation is relates to booking and detention, specific to what Sarah was just speaking of for a prolonged um, holding cell policy to address detentions due to exceptional circumstances. Recommendation number three, all district stations LEP equipment should be audited and ensure compliance with DGO 5.23, um, interaction with deaf and hard of hearing individuals, 
DN21-042, request for sign language interpretation, and provide proper training to district station personnel on this equipment. The fourth recommendation was to improve training on PAT search articulation of mental health cases such as 5150 evaluations. Recommendation number five is in relation to Department Bulletin 21-092, report writing for PSAs to clarify what reports PSAs um, can be taken by PSAs. This bulletin is set to expire on June of 2023. Recommendation number six, social media accounts should be monitored and controlled by the Media Relations Unit or the MRU should create a social media training for authorized users. And finally, recommendation number seven, um, as it relates to adding a quarterly agenda for CRI recommendation 69.2, which really calls for a task, uh, to task a committee with the review of internal discipline on a quarterly basis to ensure fairness and impartiality, to ensure no bias in application of discipline. During the fourth quarter um, review by the Disciplinary Review Board, Chief Scott brought up two points, and one of the points was what is exactly the definition of a trend, and secondly, how do we ensure that we fairly um, apply equity to all of those? So in discussions with Sarah Hawkins um, as to what a trend is, for example, when I said tonight that the aggregate, aggregate trend is for a member who had their department-issued firearm taken. In actuality, we only had two cases, but that was brought to the board because we felt like it was something that could be remedied easily through the discussion. Um, but does that necessarily make it a trend? Like if we have a bunch of, you know, neglect of duty one, conduct unbecoming, like what actually makes it a trend? Um, and so Sarah can talk a little bit about that more because she sits in with the disciplinary review board. The other part about equity, currently the IAD is creating a unit order to align with Office of Equity of Inclusion to take a, not only a good look at how the discipline is applied equitably, but how do we make sure that we have policy to support that so we stay in alignment with it. Sarah, do you want to talk about the trends? Sure. So one of the things with trends, we kind of have to go back to the origin of the Disciplinary Review Board, and the purpose was to create a quicker way of identifying issues that we were seeing. Right, so I think what one thing we have talked about is potentially creating categories when we're saying trend, like it's a difference to be statistically significant versus this is an issue that we're seeing that doesn't necessarily mean it's an overwhelming number of cases, but we're seeing it enough that we think there needs to be quick and swift action in terms of training or a department notice or something corrective before it becomes a statistically significant trend or kind of continues. Um, it could also be an area of evolving law where we're like, we're seeing the impact of this new law not quite being trained to or whatever. So I think we need to do a little bit more now that the DRB has been in existence for a while and I think we've done some really great work in this new kind of format. I think a little bit more thought about how we're classifying trends and how we're labeling them would be helpful um, internally and then also as we make these reports to the commission and to the public. So I think that's something that we'll kind of work through over the next quarter and hopefully have some more definitions and or labels to direct what we're specifically talking about in terms of trends. And that concludes our presentation. Are there any questions this evening? Commissioner Giannis. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Acting President Yi. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Giannis. Uh, page 11 with regards to uh, recommendation number six around the social media accounts. Um, 
thank you for the recommendation. We're actively working on the social media revision, and I just am reaching, uh, I wanted to get an update because there was an extension requested for the working group, but I don't, I haven't seen any movement and content, but yet continue to see issues with social media come up. So I just wanted to get a sense from the Department of how soon we are to actually activating those working groups to move the social media policy along. I know we did a lot of work to to advance the uh, investigative social media uh, process, but we still haven't started the working group for social media. Do we have a, a, an update on that, uh, Chief, or anyone else? I don't have the timeline right off the top of my head for social media. And again, I believe this recommendation specifically speaks to the social media accounts that are driven by the media relations unit, and that it's important that in that entity there is training of those users who are uh, participating in that. Because if they're not trained, then we can't offer consistency on how we utilize that social media platform. Does, doesn't that still fall within the social media policy revision process? Well, it, it, falls again, it falls within the one you're referring to. Yes. Right, yeah. correct, okay. So we will embed this recommendation and thank you for the feedback. Correct, thank you. Okay, uh, public comments on? Thank you. Members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item nine, please approach the podium. Uh, seeing none, let's go to let's go to uh, item number ten. Line item ten: presentation of the quarterly activity and data report, fourth quarter, twenty twenty-two. Discussion. Good evening, Acting Commissioner, Acting President Yee, members of the Commission, Director, uh, Acting Director Hawkins, and Chief Scott, members of the public. I'm Catherine McGuire. I'm the Executive Director of the Strategic Management Bureau. Um, and this evening, uh, Jason Cunningham, who is our project manager, um, or our program manager in the Professional Standards Unit, is going to present the um, statewide RIPA data as compared to San Francisco and um, take a look at our Q4 2022 and Q1 2023 data uh, in as presented in our reports. And with that, I'll just hand it over to Jason. Uh, thank you, Executive Director McGuire. Uh, good evening, Acting President Yee, uh, Chief Scott, uh, Chief of Staff Hawkins, uh, members of the Commission. Uh, my name is Jason Cunningham. I am a Program Manager in the Strategic Management Bureau of the San Francisco Police Department. I manage the Department's Business Analysis Team, uh, which is a group of seven analysts charged with, among other things, creation of our routine data and reports that are released publicly. This evening, I'll be reviewing two reports with you. The first is the Racial Identity Profiling Advisory Board Annual Report from 2023, which is authored at the state level. And the second is a sneak peek at the first quarter 2023 San Francisco Police Department Quarterly Activity and Data Report, also known as the QUADAR. Together, these reports and their annexes equal almost 800 pages of information. So I'll be doing my absolute best 
to boil the ocean of information down to a few key points uh, that I can present in approximately the next 10 minutes. Uh, of note, neither of the reports being presented this evening answer the question of why. Put another way, this presentation focuses very much on the what, the where, the when, and the whom, but doesn't spend time discussing why. Additionally, this presentation is a close mirror of a presentation that was given to you in February of last year. Slide two. Thanks. Uh, first off, uh, the RIPA annual report. Released in January of this year, this report covers data gathered in 2021 by 58 of the largest uh, law enforcement agencies in California, along with three smaller agencies that opted into the program early. The California Highway Patrol continues to capture the most data in this report with 55% of all records uh, of stops being conducted by the California Highway Patrol. Uh, this is approximately 1.7 million out of the 3.1 million stops conducted in 2021. Data collection for this program is governed by the authoring legislation and any regulatory actions taken by the California Department of Justice, often at the recommendation of the RIPA board. Also, a quick reminder that demographic data collected under the RIPA stops program represents officer perception. Next slide. So starting at the top level with just number of stops conducted by agency, you'll note that the SFPD's total number of stops from 2020 to 2021 continued to decline with a reduction in real numbers of 11,162 and by percentage of roughly 29% year over year. This is consistent with many other jurisdictions uh, over the same time period. Next slide. Looking at the demographics of who is stopped in 2021 statewide and within San Francisco, the same three groups are stopped with the most frequency, those perceived as white, black, and Hispanics, Hispanic slash Latinx. However, the order in which they are stopped differs with perceived Hispanic slash Latinx individuals stopped with the most, stopped the most statewide, whereas within San Francisco, perceived white individuals make up the largest portion of individuals stopped. Perceived black individuals make up the third largest group of individuals stopped at the state level, representing 15% of stops. Whereas in San Francisco, perceived black individuals make up the second largest group of individuals stopped, representing 24.7% of stops. Next slide. So we'll spend a minute here on this table. What we have here is a table showing search rate and discovery rate by perceived dem demographic group as compared to the perceived white demographic group in 2021 for both the state as, the, state as a whole and the SFPD. And I'll walk us through this chart from left to right. So starting on the left side of the table, we see search rates as compared to, the perceived, as compared to perceived white individuals. At the state level, if you are perceived black or Hispanic, you have a slightly higher likelihood of being searched than perceived white individuals. The reverse is true at the state level if you are perceived as Asian or the other demographic group. With the SFPD in 2021, you are less likely to be searched than a perceived white individual if you are perceived Asian or per perceived in the other demographic group. Perceived Hispanic slash Latinx individuals have no effect on the likelihood of being searched as compared to a perceived white individual. Perceived black individuals who were stopped by the SFPD were 3% more likely to be searched. All results at the city and state level are statistically significant, save the null result, which is the, the zero. 
Now we'll transition to the middle of the chart uh, and start to talk about the discovery rate analysis. A discovery rate is the rate in which officers discover evidence or contraband when searching an individual. This is split into two types of searches, discretionary and administrative. Discretionary searches are searches in which an officer requests consent to conduct a search. Administrative searches are searches that are incident to arrest, incident to a search warrant, or incident to conducting a vehicle inventory. There are other searches out that are conducted as well. However, those were not considered by the state in this analysis. Considering discretionary searches, as you can see in 2021, at the state level, all four perceived demographic groups are less likely to have evidence or contraband discovered as compared to perceived white individuals. This is statistically significant for the perceived black and Hispanic slash Latinx demographic groups and not statistically significant for perceived Asian and other demographic groups. This is compared to the SFPD in 2021, where perceived Asian, Black, and Hispanic, Latinx individuals are more likely to be discovered with evidence or contraband and less likely for the other group. That said, none of those findings are statistically significant. When we consider administrative searches at the state level, perceived Asian, Hispanic, Latinx, and other demographic groups were less likely to have evidence or contraband discovered as compared to perceived white individuals. Perceived black individuals were slightly more likely to have evidence or contraband discovered, though this was not statistically significant. For the SFPD in 2021, perceived Asian, black, and Hispanic slash Latinx demographic groups were more likely to have contraband or evidence discovered than perceived white individuals. Individuals in the perceived other demographic group are less likely to have contraband discovered, and none of the findings uh, in 2021 for the SFPD were st statistically significant. Next slide. Uh, this will be our last deep look at statistics, I promise. Um, the RIPA report conducted a use of force regression analysis, which looks at uses of force in the RIPA data along with race, ethnicity, and other factors like the officer who made the stop, the time of day, the location, et cetera. Uh, to consider the impact of the stopped individual's perceived race or ethnicity on whether force was used during the stop. Compared to perceived white individuals, the odds of officers using force during a stop were 1.24 times and 1.09 times higher for black and Hispanic slash Latinx individuals respectively at the state level. Asian and other individuals whom officers stopped had lower odds of having force used against them, 0.69 and 0.84 respectively relative to the odds for individual office, individuals officers perceived as white. This holds true with similar findings when the CHP stops are excluded from the statewide analysis. All findings at the state level are statistically significant. Looking at the left side of the slide, when compared to the SFPD use of force rates in 2021, the SFPD had lower rates in all categories as compared to the state. These rates are not statistically significant. Next slide. We'll now transition to the first quarter quarterly activity and data report for 2023. Uh, this is instead of the 2022 uh, fourth quarter data, so this is a little bit of a sneak peek. Uh, this report should be out in the next week or so. Next slide. No, that slide. Our Q1 report considers data from the 1st of January through the 31st of March. It also captures some use of force data from late Q4 2022, 
uh, due to the change in the use of force standard when DGO 5.01 went into effect. Next slide. So again, starting at a high level look, this is stops over time on the left side of the chart. What we are seeing is an annualized number of stops broken out by race and ethnicity by year. What we're seeing to the right is a per capita number of stops annually from 2018 through 2022. Two key takeaways from these charts are the decrease in stop count, especially between 2019 and 2020, and an ongoing reduction in per capita disparities in stops over time. That said, those disparities do continue to persist. Next slide. This is another way we're slicing these stops data. To the left of the slide is the last six quarters by percentage of individuals who are being stopped by the SFPD by race and ethnicity. There have been no major changes in these percentages over the last six quarters. We were also asked to do an additional, an additional analysis in this report on who were stopping by race and ethnicity and what type of stop was being conducted. That is, was the stop self-initiated by an officer or was the stop dispatched? The current analysis is very simple, but considers raw counts by race and ethnicity uh, over the last six quarters. You'll notice there are significantly larger number, there is a significantly larger number of self-initiated stops in total as compared to the number of stops that are dispatched. Next slide. Tied to the look uh, that the state did with searches uh, is a look here at annualized searches per capita uh, over the last five years. Since mid-2018, you can see the disparity, uh, you can see that the disparity between the number of perceived black individuals that were searched and black individuals' representation in San Francisco's residential population per capita has come down over time. That said, again, the disparities do persist. When I refer to disparities in the following slides, please note I'll be referencing an individual's race or ethnicity as compared to that same race or ethnicity's representation in the San Francisco's residential population. Next slide. Of note, we've been tracking yield rate or discovery rate, uh, which is the term used in the RIPA analysis, uh, across all search types by race and ethnicity over time. We've noted that the yield rate or the discovery rate has increased annually for all race and ethnic groups across all search types. Some researchers believe that when yield rates are relatively uniform and relatively high, officers may be using objective factors more frequently when deciding to conduct a search as opposed to using race or ethnicity as a determining factor for conducting a search. Next slide. Looking at the use of force uh, since 2016 through the very beginning of the fourth quarter of 2022, we have two different trend lines reflecting two different use of force standards that have been in effect over this time period. The blue line reflects the use of force policy uh, in effect at the beginning of 2016 and shows a decline over time of the number of uses of force from around 950 to around 930. We then transitioned to a new use, use of force standard in the second quarter of 2022, which lowered some of the use of force thresholds, uh, which, then increased the num our, uh, which then increased our use of force count significantly, moving from around 328 under the old use of force standard in 20, uh, between, uh, bleh, moving from around 328 under the old use of force standard to between 2200 and 2300 
in the third quarter. The fourth quarter portion of the data, as a reminder, is only partially uh, the entire quarter because, again, uh, in the fourth quarter, we transitioned to the current use of force standard. Next slide. When we consider, this is 14, yeah. Uh, when we consider use of force per capita annually over time, we see a reduction in use of force disparities for black individuals, but also for Hispanic Latinx individuals to a lesser extent. That said, both groups, and especially black individuals, continue to have a use of force disparity. These data uh, only consider 2016 through 2021, as this period had a consistent use of force standard, uh, consistent use of force standard. Uh, the report does break out each standard into more uh, detail per capita. Next slide. Uh, this is just a total number of arrests conducted by the SFPD over time since the beginning of, beginning of 2019. Comparatively speaking, uh, Q1 2023 had about the same number of arrests as we did uh, at the beginning of the pandemic in Q1 of 2020. Next slide. This is a look at that same data, but this time broken out by race and ethnicity. Uh, you can see a gradual decline by percentage uh, of black individuals arrested by the SFPD and a gradual incline uh, of Hispanic slash Latinx individuals. Next slide. Uh, finally, we'll take a look at arrests per capita over time from 2016 through 2022. Uh, you'll note that the disparity uh, for black individuals has come down over time. That's the trend line. This uh, has also occurred to a lesser extent for Hispanic slash Latinx individuals. That said, both groups still have significant disparities as compared to their respective demographics residents per capita. Thank you for your attention. I will hand it back to Executive Director McGuire. Uh, Jason and I are happy to take any questions you have. All right, uh, thank you very much there. Let's move on to uh, public, public comment on that. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item 10, please approach the podium. Despite the fact that skateboarding is not completely illegal, in this city, there are a lot of laws that set people up to be stopped for skateboarding. Notably, you cannot skateboard at all in this city legally after dark or before sunrise. You can go, this is from a 2003 um, SF board thing. If you Google SF skateboarding laws, there's a web page with all of the existing information about this. That means that you can go to the skate park, Petrero del Sol, in the Mission until 8.30, and unless it's the middle of the summer, when you're done skateboarding, it is illegal for you to get home using the vehicle that you showed up on and to ride. So we're talking about disparities of stops. So it's not illegal to be in public on a skateboard, but it's almost illegal, and certainly illegal at certain times which means that there's an opportunity for the police to deploy disproportionate arrests, which means that race intersects with the politics of skateboarding because these laws are applied disproportionately. I'd be very curious to know how many of these incidents are related to skateboarding and what the, dis what the uh, spread looks like across racial identity or perceived racial identity. 
something to consider. There's a lot here. This touches absolutely everything. And your guys' capacity to criminalize existing in public for being Latinx or black is really important. Every single student that I taught, except for my own child, was brown or black in the last year. So I'm expecting to make them independent in the world, and it looks like you guys are gearing up to arrest them. Okay, seeing no other speaker, um, let's go to item number, next item. Line item 11, discussion and possible action to approve revised Department General Order 7.03, information dissemination regarding registered sex offenders, Megan's Law, for the department to meet, for the department to use in meeting and conferring with the affected bargaining units as required by law. Discussion and possible action. Hello, good evening, commissioners, uh, acting president Yee, um, chief of staff, Sarah Hawkins, and chief Scott. I'm Deputy Chief Raj Viswani of Investigations, which houses the SVU unit. I have Captain Sean Perdomo, who I will introduce. Um, that unit does have a 290 portion, a subunit within the SVU, and 290 refers to the registration of uh, sex offenders. Um, DGO 7.03 is what we're hoping to adopt tonight. And uh, it's pretty straightforward, but I will turn it over to Captain Perdomo. Good evening, Good evening everybody. I'm Captain Perdomo. This uh, DGO concerns the information regarding the dissemination regarding re registered sex offender information. Uh, this was done with the two SMEs in my office, and all of DPA's recommendations were adopted. If you have any other questions, I can answer them. Any questions? Uh, Commissioner um, Burns. So, excuse me. So, as I understand the DGO, you're basically following uh, Penal Code uh, Section 290 and 290.45, and just adapting it to um, to the police department with you know who's who you need to talk to, and following those two Penal Code sections. If I'm that's correct, Commissioner Byrne. So it does track the penal code, the statute, and within those statutory provisions, the agency has adopted uh, procedures on how to disclose the information, the extent to which that disclosure is made to possible third parties, including uh, people that the registrant may be around that may be at risk. Yeah. So, yeah, so it, yeah, basically it's, yeah, it's just, your interpretation of uh, Penal Code 290 and 290.45. Correct, and with DPA's assistance, we delineated exactly who within the hierarchy, for example, yeah. a supervisor is made aware by a responding officer, and then after that, the ultimate determination as to whether or not the disclosure is made is made by a lieutenant. And after that is done, a form is prepared and a police report is uh, documented with the, it's, it's actually listed, it's pretty lengthy. It's on page five of six, all of the information that's required to go in the police report, and all of that is uploaded into our crime data warehouse for further review uh, later on. Yeah, thank you. Oh, one, just one, question. Uh, one more thing. So also 290.46, which basically governs the DOJ's, what, what they put in the database. Um, Commissioner uh, Benedicto. 
Thank you, Acting President Yee. Just a couple of questions. Uh, is there anything DBA wanted to, to know for the CGO? I mean, I would, I would just echo that all of our recommendations were um, accepted uh, and that we think this will make it much easier for subordinate officers to get help and to avoid any adverse incident from happening. And that's right. I think uh, I, I applaud the Department of DPA for putting this together. I think that it's a lot clearer than the former one. Um, anyone who's been in a working group with me, I see Ms. Lacey in the back knows I'm always trying to make the DGO shorter. Um, and uh, this it seems like it's clearer for the officers. Um, it's also one of our 1990s DGOs. The, the prior version was from 1998, where Megan's Law was just two years old. So I'm, uh, our, the commission's continued quest to get rid of all the 1990s era DGOs. Um, I'm glad that we can, we can have this. So I will move to uh, approve this DGO for use with meeting and conferring with the effective bargaining units, consistent with the commission's labor relations resolution 23-30. Second. Second. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item 11, please approach the podium. Roll call. And seeing no public comment. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. And Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. You have five yeses. Okay, next item. Line item 12, discussion and possible action to adopt revised Department General Order 11.13, directed and recommended referrals to the SFPD's Behavioral Science Unit. Discussion and, and possible action. Good evening, commissioners. We've spoke about this policy on multiple occasions, so I'm here again just to answer any questions that may have arisen since the last time I was here, um, if you have any. Uh, Commissioner uh, Benedicto. Thank you. I don't have any questions. I think this is a great general order. It's a great uh, service to be able to offer to members as well as to um, the professional staff as well. Um, I'm glad the commission uh, was able to pass it. I'm also glad that it went through the labor negotiation process expeditiously. I, I want to thank the bargaining units. Um, was this one the one where we had the, it was, it was three or more bargaining? It was, it was a large number of bargaining units. Uh, it was POA, MEA, and others. And I want to thank the bargaining units for bargaining in good faith and moving uh, this through expeditiously. I know there are a lot of DGOs we're moving through, and I'm, I'm grateful to the bargaining units for working uh, through that, as well as to our labor relations director, Ms. Preston. Um, with that, I will move to adopt General Order 11.13. Second. For members of the public that would like to make public comment regarding line item 12, please approach the podium. And there is no public comment. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. You have five yeses. Okay, moving right along. Uh, Line item 13, public comment on all matters pertaining to item 15 below, closed session, including public comment on item 14, vote whether to hold item 15 in closed session. If you would like to make public comment regarding closed session, please approach the podium. I, I, I motion. Uh, wait, wait. No, no, that's the next item. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And there is no public comment. Line item 14, vote on whether to hold item 15 in closed session, San Francisco Administrative Code section 67.10, action. I motion now. 
Thank Second. You. On the motion, Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. You have five yeses. We will go into closed session. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
All right, commissioners, we are back in open session on line item 16. Vote to elect whether to disclose any or all discussion on item 15 held in closed session. San Francisco Administrative Code section 67.12A, action. Motion not to disclose any items in item 15. Second. Any member of the public would like to make public comment regarding line item 16, please approach the podium. There is no public comment on the motion. Commissioner Walker, how do you vote? Yeah. Commissioner Walker is yes. Commissioner Benedicto? Yes. Commissioner Benedicto is yes. Commissioner Yanez? Yes. Commissioner Yanez is yes. Commissioner Byrne? Yes. Commissioner Byrne is yes. Commissioner Yee? Yes. Commissioner Yee is yes. You have five yeses. Line item 17, adjourned. Adjourned. Thank you, everybody. Did you like that sound effect? Uh. Thank you for carrying me over to finish oh. money.